Hi, I'm Ollie from near Philadelphia. I'm Cinna from Ohio. And this is Backlist and Chill. We are heading into, God, is it season nine? I think so. I'm pretty sure the last one was eight. Wow, we have we have been doing this for nine seasons. Did you know that's that's as many realms as there are? <laughs> didn't According do to purpose. mythology. Mm-hmm. Nordic mythology. <laughs> Which is uh, relevant. It is. It is relevant. And it's not like this is year nine. No, our seasons are whatever the fuck we say they are. I know, right? We could I love when we get to like, I don't know, fifteen seasons and people are gonna be like well, oh my god, 15 wow. seasons? So we could just be it's like, been yeah. Doing this for so long. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's been four years. <laughs> right? A season isn't three books. Don't worry about it. Don't worry, nothing. It goes on forever. <laughs> one, a, one a week, sometimes two. Get in there. <laughs> Give me a dollar. <laughs> Feels very mellow, though, heading into season nine. Oh, yeah? Why was that? Because we like the series. What did we we just came out of fucking Fear Street um, <laughs> saga, which is a series that my like nostalgia is high for. Oh, it was beautiful. It was a good time. It was very fun. It was fun. Uh before that, season seven, I can't even remember. It was Holly Black. Oh, oh that's sad that I couldn't remember. I know. But that was so, so quickly. long ago. It was really good. I enjoyed it. Thank you for introducing me to Holly Black. Yeah. And um, it's been a while since we, I mean, it's funny, I'm being coy about it, but anyone who clicked on the link knows right. what we're fucking you talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you don't know what it is. It just showed up with no <laughs> name. And I'm like, do you want to play a game? <laughs> <laughs> do you, you want, want to listen know? to a podcast? Do I speak the words? <laughs> uh, Click. So yeah, it's been a while since we we chatted about this author. We started with L.J. Smith's Vampire Diaries, Mm, uh, which I had seen some of the television for, and you had read all the books on. And then I absolutely forgot you and I were chatting. (laughs) I was like, wow, it's been so long, you know, since Vampire Diaries. And you were like, "Mm, Secret Circle was a thing. (laughs) You were like, no, it was the Vampire Diaries, and that's it. I don't don't know. I sure don't remember anything about the Secret (laughs) Circle. Existing, not even once. I love it because I don't. I didn't remember either. Like it took me a minute because I was like, "No, there's more than the Vampire Diaries." Because yeah, we were more. waiting to get to this one, right? And I was like, "Oh yeah, the Secret <laughs> Circle that had like a dozen characters." Oh god, we had to slog through that thing, and then like in my head, I keep mixing it up with the other witch one that we read. Oh, sweep. Yes, thank you. I could see the book in my head. I liked the little <laughs> omnibus covers. But, like, I keep mixing it up with that one. And so I'm like, which one is which? Oh, no, this, which, which is which? This is not <laughs> uh, the one where they get naked and have a pool party. This no. That was the one where they, like, live on the top of a steep hill in New Salem. Because that's a place that exists. <laughs> that's the one where, like, everybody's super gay and they just won't fucking admit it. Oh, it's the gayest witch book that never gayed. <laughs> there are equal amounts of no gays in this one, so. Are there? I mean, I like to headcanon that one character is. Okay, but like, I'm, I'm curious. I got a lot of no incest, but I wasn't oh. getting a lot of no homo. <laughs> I mean, I will say that the main character is probably bisexual. Really? Wouldn't you think the way she fucking exoticizes her one friend? Oh, listen, no, because that's not Jenny. 
You think that's just the author? That's just LJ. Gotcha. I can't read any description of D and process it as Jenny because it's so obviously LJ. Okay, that's that's fair. It is weird when you're reading a book and you're like, mm, I don't think this is the character. I think this is the author. Yeah, and I, like now that you bring it up, like I honestly hadn't even thought it that way because like obviously she talks about how beautiful D is literally all the time. Anytime she's mentioned. It totally makes sense to read it in that way, but for me it's just so I've just processed it so much as LJ Smith for like, you know, the last few years <laughs> that I I can't even read it as Jenny. So so my headcanon gay is that the cousin reads as very much a queer kid. I could believe that if he didn't apparently have such a strong boner for Jenny. <laughs> Says Julian. No, no, we'll talk, we'll talk. Alright, alright. We. I, I understand because I agree, but um, I didn't say gay, did I? Did I say queer kid? I don't know, but I, I would agree with queer, yes. Yeah, we'll get there. Anyway, we're jumping the gun here, but nobody is canon gay. <laughs> Let me just put it that way. It's L.J. Smith. Let's save everybody the breath. There will never be a canon gay. Even though it's 1993, the bisexuals exist. That, that is true. They were released during Secret Circle. <laughs> uh, they, they opened up the gate and they all came out. They blinked into the sun. Said, <laughs> I get to be free. <laughs> They're like, I, I can fuck all genders? Yes. <laughs> Or no, and just romance them? What? <laughs> and L.J. Smith was like, no, get back in the fucking box. Everyone <laughs> is hetero. L.J. Smith was up in the mountains and was like, I wasn't there when that happened, so picks or, uh, nope, nope. L.J. Okay, Smith no. just desperately screaming, sisters, sisters. <laughs> Good lord. All right, so... <laughs> Uh, in case we haven't made it abundantly clear, welcome to season nine, episode one. We are talking about L.J. Smith and the Forbidden Game. This episode is The Hunter. Now, hold on. I want to see. Okay, it only took us ten minutes to say what we were talking about, so I think we're good. <laughs> All right. So, before we talk about the actual book, one, we have to talk about what we're drinking. Because this okay. is Backlist and Chill, and we do drink about the books we read. Then we have to give an intro on this season, and um, mm-hmm. it, it's going to fit in this one episode. Ugh, depressing. Yeah. So, Ollie, what are you drinking? Your setup was very intriguing. Ooh, thank you. Uh, so, as you saw in the picture, which I will be posting on the Twitters, a friend gifted me a bottle of, I think it's called Wollersheim, and mm-hmm. it's Dance Hall Absinthe Blanche, which is white absinthe. So it's not green like the normal absinthe that I have been drinking for the past, I don't know, five to seven seasons. So I did two parts of the absinthe to six parts of this palm tea. It is a pomegranate orange blossom white tea mm-hmm. i had never had it before let me tell you that fucking tea is delicious and i would drink a lot <laughs> of it because <laughs> so i was like what does it taste like what am i getting myself into oh wow that's great so i took uh those like i said it's basically one to three but i doubled it and poured it over ice i have a cup that i dipped in sugar 
Mm. to give it a kind of icy look. And I'm calling this Community of Sorrow. Interesting. Yes. Even though it's icy, but like, you know, I didn't just want to be like, I'm calling it ice. Now, that sounds familiar, but I cannot place it. Community of Sorrow? Yeah. So when Jenny realizes um, that, like, basically the world isn't fair. Yes, yes. Beautiful 16-year-old revelation. Yeah, and she's just like, oh my god, I have joined this, like, here it is. Jenny felt as if she had learned some secret, been initiated into some worldwide club or community. The community of sorrow. And she, like, goes on to describe just just how she feels about loss and death. Mm -hmm. And that felt very cold and icy to me. And I was like, you know what? Interesting. Let's do it. I love it. Thanks. It was such a great phrase, and I was glad that my drink worked out. Now, is the pomegranate another Persephone reference, or was that just what you happened to have on hand? No, I specifically chose that. I love it. Yeah, I knew I was going to do the white absinthe and the pomegranate. Um, When I saw it had a white tea pomegranate, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, perfect. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. The orange blossom kind of just works out for the kind of, you know, like, sunny orange glow thing that's always around Jenny with everyone. Mm -hmm. Sunshine. (laughs) So I think overall, I'm very pleased with the composition of this drink. I love it. And I liked the title. Now, here's my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. I made a drink that's very ice. Mm -hmm. And you look like you've made a drink that's very shadow. Yes. What can you tell me? Okay, so I decided that I wanted to try to find something that was black and blue. Ooh. So I googled some recipes. And I found one and I didn't want to spring for some of the extra stuff. So I just sort of used what I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully, that included blue curacao. Perfect. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but... Mm-hmm. I think it's curacao, but, um, you know, people can be mad about it. Yeah, sure. I mean, tell me. I would like to know if I'm saying it like a real dumbo. Um, blue curacao. Like curacao? Like, I don't know. Maybe. Um, but anyway, so it's it's vodka, blue cura, blah, 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 sprite, sour <laughs> mix, obviously, <laughs> and the thing that makes it dark is cranberry juice. What? That's amazing. I know, right? But I love that you can like see the little hints of blue. So I was like, yeah, Julian's eyes in the shadows. In the shadows. Yeah. It's amazing because like. You've done drinks before that specifically were like, add this black drink or whatever, mm-hmm. or some ingredient that was like specifically black whatever. Right. This is the first time it's like, oh shit, that looks like you're drinking fucking night. <laughs> I know, right? All of my fucking attempts to make black <laughs> stuff and all I had to do was put cranberry juice in it. Who knew? <laughs> it's very good. And I just, I love it. It has this... The glass you have it in alongside the book, it has this very, it looks like something you would see in the parlor they built. Oh, thank you. I'm glad it turned out. And it tastes fine. Good. Just fine. I think mine is also (laughs) just fine. I'm more interested in the sugar. I think I need to try that white absinthe with um, ginger ale at some point next. Thank you to my friend for that gift because it is, the absinthe is delicious. 
That's cool. I I love that you are still doing absinthe, but it's like a new absinthe. Mm -hmm. A new absinthe has entered the battle. (laughs) I am always up for absinthe. That's good (laughs) shit. All right. Now the hard part, which is talking about the intro on uh, this series. I guess we should probably start with our own bits. Yes. Because that's easier. You go first since you've read it first. Mm, okay, okay, okay. So, so everybody, and I just want to let you know, Ollie. Yeah. <laughs> very drunk right now. <laughs> How so, long have you been drinking? Not long. Not that long, but there's a lot of vodka in it. Okay. So that's probably Pace why. Pace yourself. Do you have water with you? I don't. I don't have enough hands for water. I understand. So, so. Re- rewind. It's. Rewind. I was in fourth grade. I don't know what year it is. Probably in the early aughts. I think Forbidden Game might actually be the first L.J. Smith book that I read. Interesting. I can't say for sure because I just sort of grabbed them off a spinner rack in a library. But... Like one does. Yes, obviously. You're a child. You're in a library. You're like, oh, that has a cool cover. I'm going to read it. Right. The spinner rack faces out. I'm way more interested than you. (laughs) right i can see the covers just without having to pull it out this is very easy Mm -hmm. but um they're the only ones that i have like a concrete memory of taking out of the library in grade school um i don't remember what i thought of them then but i know that i bought the omnibus at some point and i've been reading it ever since so i must have liked it (laughs) i love that But yeah, so uh, I love this book. This is probably my favorite L.J. Smith, uh, aside from one Night World book that is a close contender. So I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Like, this is my favorite L.J. Smith, and I read it a long time ago, and it's good. I love that. No, I I really do. Because, you know, you're talking about, I got this off of the spinner rack, and I just loved it. Well, like, my fucking spinner rack choice was Fear Street Saga. So... (laughs) One of us is clearly, one, had access to better books, and two, better taste as a child. <laughs> I'm so fascinated because L.J. Smith was so ubiquitous in the libraries that I went to as a kid, on par with R.L. Stein and Christopher Fike, that I'm just always flabbergasted that you managed to get out of, like, adolescence without reading any of her books. Yeah, it was just, I guess, the particular time period range because i'm a little older than you enough to be like maybe as i was heading out of middle school into high school you were coming into middle school and they just started to be popular then but it's weird because like her books are from the early 90s yeah they were old by the time i got to them yeah and like they were coming out (laughs) in the time when i was reading other books but Mm -hmm. maybe my library just didn't didn't have them and yet we had you know we had the rl stein ones coming out Mm -hmm. every fucking month so i don't know i don't know where they put their money but it wasn't into lj smith it's also worth noting that this series is a point horror series oh shit is it it is is that like on the side of your book no it's not on the omnibus and i don't know that it's even on the paperbacks but there is a an edition of paperbacks that were released as a point horror wow branded uh, well, that's good, because they, they are horror. Like, they're good at that. It's so interesting, right? Because, like, I definitely grew up with the impression of L.J. Smith as paranormal romance, because that is 
a lot of what underlies it. But like we look at the last couple books of Vampire Diaries, yeah. you look at Forbidden Game. There, there are a lot of horror elements here. Like even that's Secret always Circle. my favorite part about her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like you're really good at making it just a little creepy. Yeah, you're you lean into the spooky. Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned, I got through adolescence and my twenties as well mm-hmm. without <laughs> reading. <laughs> any L.J. Smith books. <laughs> and not for lack of trying, because uh, one of my other best friends, Lois, super loves L.J. Smith as well. I remember mm-hmm. I went, when I saw her her house, I took pictures for you and was like, look, old school forbidden game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it was very delightful. But you finally got me to read it. We have read this series before, mm-hmm. probably five, six years ago at this point. God, was it really? It honestly doesn't feel that long ago. It's got to be at least five years ago. It was our previous podcast. We had done them with another friend and we just decided to do it. And I'm glad that Mm -hmm. we did. I really, I remember enjoying them. I have no idea what my opinions of certain things were (laughs) back then, but I know like reading it, a lot of the same old stuff where I'm like, oh yeah, this is a problem are still there. But there mm-hmm. are new things that are problems. <laughs> and like that that's okay. Like this is a really good example of why we read these old books now mm-hmm. and look at it from our modern perspective, our current modern day perspective. But I do still I do still enjoy it. Like I, I didn't mm-hmm. read every page going, What the fuck? Why did I ever like this? Um, right. Like I still have fun with it. And I remember reading it and then Coming back to it this time, just being like, oh, it's like coming back to an old friend where I've forgotten yeah. a lot of the stuff that happened, a lot of the minutiae, but other stuff is like, oh, yeah, oh, this character, oh, God, oh, my God, I'm remembering this horrifying <laughs> thing that's going to happen. Is that in this book or some other one? Oh, no. So, but this was my first L.J. Smith. I'm, so I'm very amused that this was both of ours, but like mm-hmm. fucking 20 years apart. I guess maybe 15 years since it was five years ago. But yeah, and thank you again for introducing me to her. (laughs) Even though sometimes (laughs) you're like, Lisa Jane. I love that that's still a thank you. It is. I appreciate your grace. (laughs) (laughs) I love doing it. So yeah, that's that's my whole history on that. Because the rest of the podcast here, everybody knows my opinions on Vampire Diaries and Secret Circle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what? You know what I remember from our podcast like mm-hmm. a million years ago? Mm-hmm. Our fucking rad Julian is a game beta tester jokes. That's what I remember. <laughs> Julian as a rad beta tester for games? No, Julian is like, is like a game developer. Like, please, God, play my board game. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what you think. Give me your feedback. Be honest. Well, sir, um, I didn't like the part where you <laughs> killed one of my friends. That was not great. <laughs> Psychologically profiling us was a lot, sir. <laughs> Watching me my whole life since I was five. I mean, <laughs> how could you even develop this game for anyone else? So you're saying it's too niche? <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking you could maybe sell one, but not anymore because we were your test group and I'm not buying this game. <laughs> In fact, you're paying Hold for on. my therapy. Give me your give me your comment card. No, I don't want to give you my no. Give me your comment card. I need it right now. Give me okay. Yes, thank you. No, don't don't watch. Don't watch. You're gonna make it weird. I'm just like I'm just gonna like very intrusive. I did not take no for an answer. 
recommend banning from this convention? That's a that's a little much, don't you think? <laughs> no, no, you kidnapped me and killed one of my friends. I gave you a night to remember. Just so. I no, no, sir. You Listen, will never forget this again. game. You're doing it again. This <laughs> this is not okay. I security security. <laughs> Yoink. <laughs> Julian, Julian just gets fucking bumped from a convention. <laughs> you start hearing about it. You're like, oh, uh, I see Julian um, Snow. Is it now here? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> like, is, is that the game guy? You know, the game? Yeah, he's got, nope, can't come to this con. Yeah, did you guys hear what happened to Gen Con this year? Yeah. <laughs> Jenny Con, yeah. you mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's what he thought it was. He thought it was Jenny Con. <laughs> It's the perfect place to premiere my new game. That's not even how I spell my name. <laughs> I've only ever heard it. I don't yeah. know. I can't read. I, I speak in runes, right? <laughs> I can't read. I can only read runes. <laughs> Everything else is from your head. So if, if there's something here and you can read it, it's because you can read it. <laughs> right. We can't really go into the mechanics of how this whole situation works, but... <laughs> Oh, Julian. Uh, you, Julian. You, you sure are a person. I Listen, we really do have to talk about Julian as a salesman because that was the most delightful part of the book. But, <laughs> but before we do that, <laughs> tell me, since this will be really hard, tell me the the intro on this season. What do you got for me? You know what I have? You know what I have, Ollie? I... Now, granted, I will admit, mm-hmm. I did not have a lot of time to dig into this, but I did take what time I had to do some way back machine archaeology. <laughs> and I cannot find Lisa Jane talking about the OG Forbidden Game anywhere. Why? I don't know. It's devastating. Why did she forsake us like this? I know, right? Lisa Jane. Listen, I know you have feelings about the Vampire Diaries and even the Secret Circle. And especially Nightworld. And Night- oh, we wait, have some Nightworld wait, feelings, maybe. I did want to laugh about okay. this, Lisa Jane. Yes. Okay. So I open up my omnibus. Mm-hmm. It lists more tales from the darkness by L.J. Smith. Don't miss, you know, all of these different Nightworld series books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and coming soon, the conclusion to the Nightworld series, <laughs> Strange Fate. Oh, Paige Mm -hmm. uh, on Twitter made an incredible joke, which is that uh, LJ Smith's last words before she dies will be, strange fate is coming soon. (laughs) I just, every time I see coming soon, strange fate, I was like, oh. Uh, 30 years now, it's fucking Axl Rose and Chinese democracy. Like, come on. (laughs) It's so sad. Um. But yeah, no, I cannot find her talking about this anywhere. It's very sad. That is sad. I mean, or or is it okay? Because like then we know she's not going to touch it. Oh, no. Because you know what I did find? Oh, A no. lot of Lisa Jane talking about the sequel that she's totally going to write. <laughs> no. So listen, there are a couple things that I do have. Okay. I have the sort of Simon and Schuster, like if... 
like I don't know why a teacher would teach these books, but it's like the the kit for if you are going to discuss LJ Smith in your child book club or whatever. Here are some discussion questions. So I found a little bit of an interesting kind of quote in that, which is and which is very true of the forbidden game, right? It's that, um, and I quote, it's not about blood and guts. It's about idealism. It's about not giving up even when the odds seem hopeless. I wanted to write books like J.R.R. Tolkien's and C.S. Lewis, uh, grand books where good confronts evil smack in the face and wins. I wanted to be Frodo trembling in Mordor, knowing that the evil he's up against is stronger than anything in the natural world and still finding somewhere within himself the courage to fight it, to stand up and be a hero. I would say that is correct of this this first book. I feel like that's something that we've kind of seen, you know, and obviously LJ, um, there was an interview that she did around the time that the newer Vampire Diaries books were coming out. And the interviewer asked, what are the life lessons that you want your readers to learn by reading your books? And LJ said, I would like them to learn, bullet points, that females can be strong characters without being imitation to boys. Boys, but females. (laughs) Without being imitation to boys. Mm -mm. That people of different races, sexes, religions, ethnic backgrounds, and creeds can work together in harmony. But not sexual. If they have a sense of humor. No, 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 no. (laughs) Gays don't exist. Um, That the best way to solve a problem is to get help from friends. I always show my characters working collectively rather than having one single person save themselves or the world. Which feels true. Yeah. I mean, it was ham-fisted in Secret Circle, because they Mm -hmm. had to, but I would agree, definitely in this one and Vampire Diaries, yeah. Yep. That even if goodness doesn't triumph over evil, there's no excuse for joining the evil side and swimming with the sharks. Interesting. I've yet to see evil triumph in her books. Does that happen at Nightworld? No, but I can see where, like... We talked about it in the last Vampire Diaries episode, but where, like, Klaus is about to win and the characters are still, like, Bonnie literally tries to sacrifice herself. Gotcha. Gotcha. That they're never going to be like, well, I guess that's it. Yeah. They're never going to Tyler people, you know? Oh, God. That humans and other characters that can think, or I'm sorry, other creatures that can think should respect each other. And that redemption is possible no matter what the deed, no matter what the age of the person to be redeemed. Well, that sounds like she's staring at Damon. (laughs) (laughs) She's saying it. (laughs) Like, she turns to Damon and is like, no matter what the age. (laughs) Damon, I believe in you. So, I do think that those are definitely things that come through in Forbidden Game, for sure. Yeah. And honestly, the closest I could find to relevant Forbidden Game tidbits, except... And now my question for you, Ollie, is, do you want me to save the summary for the Forbidden Game rematch? What? For (laughs) after we finish the other two books, or do you want to discuss it now? Oh, shit, I want to discuss it now, but like... Okay. Do I? Do I? (laughs) Tell me. So I I feel like we need to sort of explain this to people who maybe are are jumping on or maybe haven't been following like L.J. Smith. The wildness. 
yeah, no, I think we should talk about this because, like, I love Forbidden Game, um, and I'm very excited to talk about this one. And, like, this mm-hmm. one in particular is a very, like, clear cut. It could be its own standalone, and the rest are like, <laughs> psych, it's the rest of the story. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. Talk about, talk about L.J. Smith. So, friends who maybe read L.J. Smith in your youth and did not find her website or her Twitter or her Facebook uh, or her blogs... <laughs> LJ does this thing where she is going to write a sequel to literally everything you ever loved. Don't worry. Right. And I feel really bad saying this because she might, she may, she might be like really sick and or dead. So like, you know, if that's the case. (laughs) I hate to laugh because like the and or dead part. (laughs) But (laughs) But we just, we don't know. No one's got eyes on her. No, the last we heard she was coming back from a really bad illness and then they just stopped updating her facebook and her twitter and her blog so we don't know right it's like did she pass are you being very quiet about her passing right like i feel like somebody would tell us if something you know i fucking hope so but (sighs) it's it's really hard to know but it, it feels like given the extent of her internet presence before radio silence it can't be good yeah it is it is ultimately really sad like all of the way that lj smith became you you have to just assume something is wrong even if it's like quote-unquote just grief right or or just rehabilitation of some sort right yeah but there was a period on where LJ Smith was very online, right? Yeah. So she was dropping short stories all over the place. Unfortunately, not a forbidden game short story. Very bummed. But like we read all of those Vampire Diaries short stories. She's got some Night World ones. But she had like a very active blog. And at any given time, she was writing a sequel to... Uh, well, obviously, she wrote all of those sequels to the Vampire Diaries, which we'll probably get to eventually. She was writing a sequel to The Secret Circle, Forbidden Game. I didn't see anything about Dark Visions, but probably, <laughs> honestly. And of course, she was perpetually working on Strange Fate. So, um, But we are lucky enough to have a full fucking treatment for... The Forbidden Game colon rematch. Oh my god. How? Uh, she knew what she wanted to do. She she knew. Uh, and Ollie, I, I can't express this enough. This is really long. So I'm going <laughs> to need you to buckle in, okay? Okay. All right. Well, I will say that spoilers for the whole Forbidden Game. So if you only read The Hunter, spoilers. Spoilers right on through the yes. chase and the kill. Uh, if yes. you haven't read those, jump ahead. We'll, we'll tell you in the notes. So. Yeah, yeah. You can you can skip for it and come back and listen to this when you're ready. Yeah, when your your body is ready. <laughs> but don't don't spoil yourself. Go go read the other ones. All right. No, you should definitely read the actual books that exist first. Yeah, they are because that because this one is never going to exist. <laughs> no, it's never going. Okay, so yes. Uh, this was from I believe a Facebook post from her. This is all going to be a quote. So far, what I can tell you is that the story starts the week when Jenny is about to marry Tom. Okay. In different versions, she varies from 18 to 20. Ooh. But anyway, her parents think her too young. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jenny and her mom have a fight. Jenny's storming that she's been in love with Tom since elementary school, and her parents got married after knowing each other only six months. Ooh. 
Jenny has grown stronger and kinder since the first book, but she still has flashes of temper. She intimates in her fight with her mom that in accordance with their strongly maintained family beliefs, she's still a virgin. (laughs) But that's likely to change in the next month, whether she wears a veil and stands before a minister or not. Wow. Her parents finally cave and Jenny begins to rush around, late again, for one of the most important days of her life. Zach takes over sending the invitations. Tom works with the wedding wedding theme designer. Wait, hold while on. Dee, mm-hmm. This all takes place the week she's going to be marrying Tom? That's what, that, that's what you said? That's what Did the she said? paragraph said. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. As an event coordinator, <laughs> I just want to call bullshit. Auntie, I'm still sending out invitations and working with the wedding planner. I know, I know. Okay. But do continue. I I will. Let me make sure. Yes, this is the week when she's... Well, she says it's the week when she's about to marry Tom. So maybe maybe there's some wiggle room there. But... God. um, Zach is clearly the photographer. Tom works with the wedding theme designer. While Dee and Audrey and Summer and Jenny pick out their multi-bridal finery Multi don't know what that means bridal are they what i don't know let's find out since it's high summer they're all in white but below the white chiffon d is in shimmering mint audrey in demure jasmine and summer in soft cornflower i love that she knows the colors of their dresses that is so so Lisa. That's so Lisa. That's so Lisa. It is though. Every scene where she described what they were wearing mm-hmm. made me fucking laugh. Because like <laughs> everything was either about people's eyes, their hair, or their clothes. That's how you knew yep. who people were. <laughs> um also multi bridal finery. Are they having like a big wedding that everybody's getting married at? That's what it feels like, right? This I guess we'll creepy. find out. Yeah, we will. But I like just <sighs> You know how I feel about everyone pairing off by the end of the series, so I do, but you know how Lisa feels about everybody pairing off. Everybody <laughs> needs their one true love and they can't have sex until they're married. What? Oh my god. Okay, so ready, ready. Continue on this journey. This is like a full on fucking book. Isn't it? The details though. The unnecessary levels of detail. This is this I feel like this is us like spitballing about our bullshit stuff, you know, like, oh and then this could <laughs> yeah, happen. Oh that. yeah, totally. Oh my god, but we're what definitely if they were wearing, like, gonna write this. Dresses? How do we describe that? <laughs> Let's describe that now and then move on with the plot. <laughs> <laughs> right. We, it's really important that we know what colors everybody's wearing because that is pivotal to the story. <laughs> uh Michael acts as gopher, but when the wedding is only four days away, Jenny wakes up alone in her bed something on the pillow comes gradually into focus is it a ring and then her breath stops and her heart seems to stop with it is it as completely awake as if she'd been doused with the remains of an ice bucket (laughs) jenny can only stare at the object for long long minutes finally Moving nothing but her eyes, she looks around her single dorm room. She's apparently also in college, question mark. Okay. She looks around her single dorm room in terror, peering into every sunlit corner. I'm going to guess that she has a medical single. <laughs> her sense. <laughs> God. 
cousin. <laughs> She's been through some shit. <laughs> I can't. I can't sleep with other people. It'll be too disruptive. <laughs> it's in everybody's. I might interest. try to like punch them if they come over towards me. I've had some bad times. Listen, we need to talk also about Jenny's sleep paralysis, but we'll get yes. There. Her sense of hearing seems to have increased to an almost painful state, but there is no sound. She can't bear it any longer. She abruptly slides off the bed and then whirls around, her heart hammering to confront dot dot dot. Nothing. (laughs) The room is empty except for herself, and nothing has changed in it except for the silver rose on her pillowcase. So close. So close. Listen, it was 50-50, honestly. Yeah. Jenny reaches for the phone, then stills. Moving slowly and almost hypnotically, she strips the cover off a pastel yellow pillow. <laughs> so unnecessarily Lisa, detailed. Lisa, this is your synopsis. Right. Cut it down. Your freaking publisher does not care. <laughs> It's almost like she knew that she was never going to write this. So she's just like, I got to give him everything that I have. <laughs> I'm going to copy and paste this doc into this blog post. Yep. That way it's out there. We should write this. Uh, mm, Ollie, Ollie, don't tempt me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Pastel yellow pillowcase. And then uses the cloth to pick up the silver. Correct. To pick you are the very silver correct. thing up. Good job, Jenny. <laughs> she learned. Yep. It's heavy. Real silver, solid silver, sleek, glimmering, its bud halfway open, (laughs) like lips open for a kiss. She remembers how it had felt in her hand the first time, in the caverns of the dark elves. She needs help with this. She's not so irrational as to deny it. But right now, she feels strongly that she has to examine this object further. But you already know what it is, Jenny. Rationality wars with post-hypnotic suggestion. (laughs) At last, a flash of light reveals the message she somehow knew was there. It's engraved onto the stem in minuscule letters, barely scratches. All I refuse, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Jenny has known who sent the rose, or brought it, more likely, ever since her vision made it out clearly lying four inches from her face on the pillow. Jesus. Nevertheless, the words from the past are too much for her. She faints. No, raising Jenny, her you're head always on the fainting. nightstand. <laughs> she hit her head? <laughs> grazing her head. I'm not really sure what kind of injury that's meant to imply, but- Jenny, get your blood pressure checked. drink more water Jenny stop receiving gifts from your supernatural stalkers from your like creepy weird Loki boyfriend (laughs) oh my god Loki boyfriend is gonna be my new twitter name (laughs) okay so she wakes to Dee's anxious face and a broken I thought you had a single Oh, to a broken door. So I'm assuming they broke down the door to get to they her. They didn't get the RA to like unlock it. Listen, we I got still I still got sentences. LJ can explain. All right, explain to me. When her friend could hear Jenny's cell ringing inside and Jenny not answering it, she got anxious. So and she you know that D. The door in. She do a punch before <laughs> fucking D. 
fucking D. This is very in character, though. D absolutely would just be like, hi yeah, 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 yeah. And somehow that would work. D rolls a crit. (laughs) D's like, my foot, I call it nat 20. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's incredible. She gets that tattoo just right (laughs) On the sole. No, on the heel. Oh, I love it. Okay. (laughs) On two subsequent days, there are two more roses engraved, and the I choose, and sworn mine, capitalized for some reason. Hmm. On the morning of Jenny's wedding, there is nothing, which is almost more frightening than any message. But Jenny sets her teeth and lets Audrey and Dee help her into her finery. Tom was missing from last night's rehearsal, an emergency phone call from a partner at the law firm where he's working as a summer associate. Wait a minute. It's the, it's this the is summer so and you're living in the dorms. In the dorms. Yep. Yep. I have so many questions, logistically speaking. Don't listen. It's it's, it's a summary it's with two first drafts. <laughs> first draft. Lisa Jane, please talk to me. I am uh, available. <laughs> My rates are very good. I have yes. many um, references. If you would like, <laughs> um, they they love me. You'll love me too. Call me. I love it, but. He makes it back the next morning for a quick whiskey and a cold shower. And then music is playing and Jenny's father is walking her down the nave. And Jenny can sense the tears in his eyes, even if her veil is too thick to allow her to see them. To see but- who I'm marrying, I mean. <laughs> okay, but hold on. Hold on. Yes. Tom absolutely sounds like he's 30 already. Tom Tom sounds like Tom Cruise in the firm somehow. Yeah. And Jenny is still in college. I don't know how this Slash is. Slash also kind of high school. Continue like, with your tears and your fails bullshit. But they're they're 18 to 20. How is Tom already I was under the impression you had to get a degree and then go back to law school before you could start interning for like law things? Right? Like I'm pretty sure that the law boys want you to be like very seriously <laughs> about the law. Right. Oh, who LJ knows? again. Anyway, call me. <laughs> Link in the description, LJ. <laughs> but if anyone thinks that Julian plans to step back and let Jenny marry Tom, on them. they obviously haven't read the Forbidden Game. All right, he listen, will, Lisa. He will be transcending everything that happens to him in these three books. I know, Lisa, they have read The Forbidden Game, where Julian <laughs> let her go. Oh, I know! He was a good Peter Pan, and he let his one to go. Ugh. This is, this is Love Never Dies level of not understanding Ooh. the thing that you yourself have written. Right? But anyway, he hasn't even begun to wreak his special kind of havoc on Jenny's wedding day. And there are other kinds of mischief afoot. Who was the slender, delicate, cloaked figure who carved Julian's name back on the stave of life? And who is planning on invading Earth? What? And that's where it ends. What? You're basically like, here's the first three chapters, and (laughs) then uh, we're going to end on like a jump scare? Miss, Miss Smith... What what is this? This is Truly. as much as she has. 
It really is. She and doesn't know who carved his name back on the stave of life, nor does she know who's invading Earth. But they are slender and delicate. She does know that. I hope that they also like Jenny. Oh, yeah. I would love that if we got, like, a, a girl Julian, and she also has, like, a Jenny boner. That would be great. That would be amazing. And then Lisa Jane would need to be like, but zero homos allowed, so. <laughs> she loves her like a sister, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, any further proof of LJ Smith's descent into never gonna write another thing? I mean, wasn't that enough? Wasn't that enough? I'm just making sure it was enough. I think it's plenty. No, that's all that I could find. Yeah. I'm very sad because, you know, if people have listened to our intro on LJ Mm -hmm. Smith with the Vampire Diaries, they will know that, like, she had it rough. You know, she was, um, not not a uh, ghostwriter, but what's that thing that Allied Entertainment does? Yeah. And so all of her really good ideas with the Vampire Diaries and Secret Circle got, like, stolen away mm-hmm. and this is like the first one that was hers yes. to do with as she pleased and so just the fact that she seems less i don't know invested in it and wasn't like talking it up constantly makes me very sad because it's great and i love it yeah i i don't know i i have to assume that there's somewhere that she talked it up that we're just not finding and if you know that interview or that page i would love for you to please share it with us yeah. because i am I'm desperate to know what brought LJ to this particular concept or, you know. There's so much. And, like, from early on, because, like, reading this book, I was like, wow, she seeds so much of the story in, like, early in this story and in this story. Mm -hmm. Which I know sounds, like, obvious, but, like, it's two different things. Um, There's a lot of cultural going on and... Having read Annette Curtis Klaus with Mm -hmm. the freaks alive on the inside, this feels different. This feels like, yeah, you did some research and you got some interesting ideas and you connected a bunch of puzzle pieces on, like, humanity's fears. Mm -hmm. As opposed to you just saw something that was cool and was like, I want to write in that. (laughs) So I just, I want to know what she was doing. What made her write 700 pages of this? I know, right? Like, when we were looking into Secret Circle, we found that thing about how, like, she was inspired by Camelot, which is not yeah. something that I would have ever really thought about. No, because it is not in the book series at all. Right, but when, you, when you're when you given that context, you're like, oh, I kind of get it, you know? So, like, yeah. what, what wild-ass thing set her off on the forbidden game path, you know? Like, I, right. maybe Did it's- Did you see Aladdin and you were like, genies. <laughs> but hot? But mm. but hot, and I'll keep the blue. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, I, it maybe it's buried in her Facebook somewhere. I didn't have time to go through that. Maybe it's somewhere in her like FAQs that maybe changed. I don't know. But if you you know somewhere where she talked about the Forbidden Game, please share it. I would love to know. Mm-hmm. But for now, we don't really have anything except for her premise for the sequel, which is stupid. So it's it's not great. No, and it doesn't actually give us anything. Like the idea of the the most intriguing part is that somebody rewrote his name on the stave of life. Who mm-hmm. would do that? That's the most intriguing thing to me. It's also like, and we've made this point before about Lisa Jane being like her own biggest fanfic creator. Mm. But like, it feels very fanficy and like. 
Jenny and Tom are going to get married and Jenny or Tom works at a law office and Jenny is in college. And this doesn't feel like anyone who is old enough to have been through these things is writing it. Yeah, it doesn't feel real if, you know. Yeah, this is a 16 year old fan being like, and I guess this is how the world works. I'm sorry. You get married next? I believe that there are smarter 16 year olds than what that description was. Yeah. So let's all be thankful that rematch is not a thing that's ever going to exist unless they do that thing where they get a ghostwriter to do it because they are also theoretically making a TV show out of this. Oh my god, I forgot. I remember talking with you about that when it came up. Wow. Yeah, that means it's along pretty far to to say that. I mean, maybe, because it was going to be the same guy who did the Vampire Diaries, but the news came out last year and we haven't heard anything. Well, so it's been a pandemic. Who knows? Well, this is true. But also, like, people say they're going to make things and then they yeah. never manifest. Yeah, and so. then it's like, okay, we ordered the pilot and then we saw it and we're like, actually, no. So I would <laughs> still enjoy terrible. watching whatever pilot that guy came up with. It would be interesting. Yeah. So you, who knows what may or may not exist in the future, but... It's probably not going to come from Lisa. No, probably for the best. Mm-hmm. So, this book. I'm going to read a libblurb. Please do. He sold her the game, capital G. And Jenny Thornton walked out mesmerized by Julian, the gorgeous cyberpunk with electric blue eyes and frost white <laughs> hair. When she and her friends open the plain white box at her boyfriend Tom's birthday party, she chills to the warning, quote, Entering the shadow world can be deadly. Do so at your own risk. Spellbound, they piece together the cardboard Victorian house and decorate the rooms with their darkest nightmares. Suddenly, the game is real. They're in the house of horrors, running from the shadow man, Julian himself, who forces them to confront their worst nightmares or be lost in a private hell. It's Julian's game, and Jenny is the prize he's stalked for years. He'll do anything to win her as she bargains desperately for her body and soul. Dun dun dun. Wow. That's pretty good. I like that. Can I just say decorate their rooms with their darkest fears is a fantastic sentence. Right? I love, just gonna say now, how much this is about what people are afraid of Mm -hmm. and how these seven teenagers manage to pick up on, like, fucking primal fears. (laughs) Love it. I'm sure it's designed that way. But, like, mm, yes, the haunter and me, all about it. So that's it. That's the blurb that you would fucking get. That's so wild. That is a... A way more abstract blurb than I I guess I would expect. Because, like, you know, in our Vampire Diaries and Secret Circle, they were so honed in on the romance element. Yeah. And this one is just, like, decorate the rooms with their darkest fears. It definitely, like, zeroes in Jenny is the prize. Like, you're not made to think that you would ever want her to go with Julian. Right, right. It's very good. I love it. That's some good shit right there. I'm pleased. That's good shit. Mm-hmm. And that's probably not just the booze talking. <laughs> probably. We can't be sure. We don't know. However, I would like you to describe the cover because mine is just the omnibus, but it's the new omnibus. I think your omnibus is way better. 
Oh my god, this is lovely. Uh, that being said, I did listen to this in an audiobook format this time. Intriguing. Which had a picture similar to your cover, but worse. Oh no! My cover's not bad. Mine is just Jenny. It's just boring. It's just, yeah, it's just Jenny. It's very boring. Nothing going on. I wouldn't know what this book is. I'd just be like, all right, generic blonde girl with, let me let me zoom my eyeballs in because I don't have the ability to <laughs> make it bigger. Gray, green eyes, something like that. Boring. But the forbidden game down the side, that's nice. And it's very matte, very smooth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It smells like nothing. Wait, hold on. Let me find out. <laughs> oh, oh, good point. Good point. Mm. Nope, just paper. Just that watery mm. paper smell. Mine's very good. I bet. I'm jealous. Now, is this always been your copy? Yeah, I've had it since I was a kid. Interesting. Anyway. <laughs> the old school omnibus cover. And actually, I'm very curious. When was this published? It's a first edition, 1997. Okay. And the book itself was published March 1st, 1994 by Simon Pulse. All of them were published in 1994, apparently. Wow. Were they like R.L. Stein, like one right after the other? It seems so, because my book that. says The Hunter, the Chase, and the Kill, copyright 1994 by Lisa J. Smith. Really? They say her whole name? They invoke her like that? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Also, oh, the cover is by San Julian, who also did all the covers for the Night World series. Ooh. All right, so it looks like it was March, skip April, May was the chase. Skip June, July was the kill. Could you imagine? These are big fucking books. I mean, you know, they're not huge, but they're like 250 pages. That's back in the days when YA books were like comics, man. Yeah. All right. Tell us about your cover. Yes, I'm sorry. So the omnibus cover, very pretty. It's uh, mostly black, but in the center, there's a very nice illustration. Uh, it has a like semicircle of runes going around the center image, which is a big picture of Jenny's face. And it's all in very like yellowy, warm tones. Mm. So there's Jenny staring out at the reader with her decisive brush stroke eyebrows. <laughs> and then up above her, there's Julian, who I think maybe looks better in the single editions personally. But there's him with his little snake earring uh, and his blue eyes, and he's staring at the reader with a kind of, like, interesting, like, one eyebrow is cocked for some reason. For some reason. His hair is longer. Yeah, he's got a little flip going on. And then beside him, there's a greenish-tinted picture of what I assume is the uh, mansion. And then there is kind of carnival-y lights in the background and then like a clown face and a dice and a jester hat on a skull face. So like implying like this stuff. Oh, there's also a Ferris wheel. So they're like sort of implying the stuff that happens in the third book. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is a wolf, which I would assume is the lurker. I can't remember which one's which. I think it's the lurker. Um, except that the lurker in the books is a day-glow creature. Yeah. And this is a more realistic uh, illustration of a wolf. The lurker and the creeper in the book are like, ah, so we've wandered into the 3D maze at the haunted theme park. Yeah, and then up at the top, there is a kind of placard, uh, and inside it, it says the Forbidden Game Collector's Edition, and then down at the bottom right corner, if he wins, she's his forevermore. I love that it says forevermore. Forevermore. 
Not just forever. Forevermore. Uh, L.J. Smith. So, yeah, I love I love this cover a lot. That's great. It's very good, very creepy, very weird. Right? Like, as a kid, I'd be like, what the fuck is this? I gotta read it. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that so much more than my boring ass cover. Which, like I said, it's no problem. It's just Jenny. But, like... It was that Twilight era of covers where it was just, like, blackness and then one thing. Right? You're like, ah, you could have given me so much more. I know. And they did. They did in the 90s when (laughs) they were allowed to have illustration. Right? Well, I think we're at that point now where we should talk about what happens in the book. There should. We should talk, though, because it's seven and the clock is ticking. It's true. Let me just briefly... Let everybody know that these books take place basically one year after the Rodney King quote unquote riots protests in LA. Can I just say that I love you because we're talking about the Forbidden Game, a book in which a hot cyberpunk kidnaps a lady <laughs> that he really wants to bone. Is he a cyberpunk though? No, but that's what the summary said. Yeah. And we're starting the podcast with the Rodney King rights, <laughs> California, 1992. Let me shut the scene for you, kid. <laughs> Backlist and chill in a nutshell. Yeah, 1993, April. One year ago when this very street Rodney King protest happened because they decided not guilty. Bullshit. This white girl wanders through the streets and she's worried about some tough guys who are later revealed to be probably white and probably Mexican. Yeah, definitely I remember one of them being Hispanic, but we will confirm that in the next <laughs> But it's like, it's so, I feel it's very important. I know, and I love you, and just know that I'm giving you a big hug. But timeline <laughs> matters to Ollie. Because, uh-huh, uh-huh. because if this came out in 1994, it means that Lisa, Lisa, Lisa. you chose super specifically to set this because she mentions it hold on i'm not just bullshitting here no you're not no you're not let me read she says the word riot yeah she hadn't realized though that eastman avenue had gotten quite so rough gosh her poor white girl privilege after the last (laughs) riots the police had cleared things up but many of the vandalized stores still had boarded windows which gave jenny a creeping feeling between her shoulder blades They were like bandaged eyes turning toward her. Which, granted, I love that description. I know. Bandaged eyes turning towards her? Like, ugh, so good. But Lisa, (laughs) you made this choice. And here I am in the year 2021, Mm. after the George Floyd protest last year, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. going, Jenny, you're so fucking white. Okay. I feel like we need to get this because there's a lot of this. There is right, a lot of in this. the book. There is. And will I love this? We haven't even started the book. <laughs> We're just like 1992. 1992. Rodney King. 93. Lisa Jane Smith is a white woman. She is extremely white. We can't talk about the rest of the book until we fucking reconcile how white this author is. It might be the book's biggest flaw. And the f- the homophobia and the transphobia that's very subtle, but there. Yeah. Like, Lisa Jane Smith, 1994, is very white liberal. Um, I 
recently watched a video by Princess Weeks on the Magical Negroes of Stephen King. Oh, yeah, you were telling me. Highly recommended. But in it, she quoted a thing from Stephen King where somebody brought up, like, his inability to write women. (laughs) And he was like, you're correct. (laughs) I can't write women. I'm very bad at it. But I would also put out that I am bad at writing black people too. And I think that that comes from a place of white guilt where I am incapable of making black people the same complex characters as my white characters because in my white guilt, I want to make black characters perfect and good and magical. And I feel that that is very applicable applicable (laughs) to Lisa. Mm. No, I agree. Because every time she mentions D, it's not just my friend D. It's my black friend D, who's as beautiful as Nefertiti. She's so beautiful. She's like a panther. Oh my god. Her legs are so long. (laughs) Egyptian princess. African princess. But her smile is always barbaric, you know, just in case you forgot. There's so much. I So I love D a lot. Yeah. So there's... it's it's complicated right because again lisa jane smith is a white woman Mm. writing a black character it's 1982 she's not making her a stereotype so there's that right like pc cast 10 years later is writing worse black characters than lisa jane smith did in 1984 accurate she's not writing a stereotype that you would expect from a white woman in 1994. Right, like, D is here, and D is powerful, and D is a badass. And she's a great character. Yeah, I love D. She has fears. Everyone in this book has fears. She has hopes. She has family. But in what she is also given, she's a different kind of stereotype. And you and I discussed uh, as well over text, she's not allowed to live in her culture. She is not a 16-year-old black girl who last year had to live in the area where all of these protests were happening and these protests were being called riots, that Dee heard about this and saw this and saw her white, rich, yuppie friends reacting to this. Like, there's a there's a comment about how, oh, Audrey would have, you know, been like, why did you go to the bad neighborhood of town? And that D wouldn't have said anything because D's wild like that or something. And I'm like, mm-hmm. or it could be because D is like not afraid of that area because you're <laughs> just people. Like, stop being so white, Jenny. I I love you because again, it's this thing of like Lisa Jane Smith is is not considered this at all. Like, yeah. has not considered what D would feel. As a black girl living through, like, the Rodney King riots in a place that is, like, basically fantasy LA, right? Like, fantasy rich LA. Because that's another thing we need to be specific about. Dee and Jenny and all of her friends are super upper middle class. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, Ollie. The movie vibes that these characters give off are powerful. The movie vibes? Yeah, the, like, we're characters in a movie. My mom and my dad are very concerned about this specific vase. Oh, God. Because <laughs> it was $15,000 in the year 1994. They're just very, like, upper middle class 80s people. Yeah, I remember you and I chatting about how 
late 80s, early 90s, this whole thing. It's like, L.J. Smith does a mm-hmm. great job of showing us rich white people in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that is a fact. Yes. But um, important thing is, L.J. Smith, definitely her exoticization of D is very much like a product of her like white guilt, right? Mm-hmm. Just like I have to make this black character beautiful and amazing and the best. I have I told you that she's so beautiful? <laughs> she's like a princess, like an Egyptian one or an African I one. I should probably mention this every single time I possibly can. Up to and including having the antagonist mention it oh, like yeah. at the end. Like, okie dokie, you didn't do this to Michael? Uh so <laughs> <laughs> okay. Doing it to Michael, like Michael, you Michael, beautiful Michael Cohen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his his religion never comes up. I feel like it's very specific that they don't do it to like Audrey or Summer. Mm. It's just it's very much about D. So that's where, for me, if I look at it from the perspective of the characters are saying this shit, mm-hmm. I'm like, Jenny, you have absolutely got the hots for D. <laughs> you can never not comment <laughs> about how beautiful she is. She looked, and I quote, strained and stern, but very beautiful. It's like, Jenny, we were not talking about her body <laughs> or her looks. You made this about her body. Jenny, keep it together. You're in the game. The point is... That and we're we're gonna this is the end of it. We're not gonna talk about it anymore after this very long part where we talked about sure. it. Where we talked about LJ Smith's weird racism. Her <laughs> weird fetishization of D. Yeah. Yep. That's where we start this book. That's where I started this book. That's fair. I was so mad at myself that I was like, hold up, wait a minute, what fucking riots is she talking about? And I'm like, are you kidding? Literally the first page, and she's got me fucking going to the timeline. <laughs> hate it. hate how it affects my brain. But I mean, it, like you said, is very intentional because there's a, a comment later on about Dee's grandmother, yes. whose husband was killed in a quote-unquote Racial Racial incident. incident. Yeah, specifically that. And I messaged him like, are you kidding me? Right, which you you don't know because if it's Dee's grandmother, Dee's a teenager in the 90s. Like, We don't know if Dee's ever known her grandfather, if he died while like the mom was a kid. We don't know. We're just told racial incident. And it's like, Jenny, that is like, fuck, what the hell? Because I guarantee grandma did call it a racial incident. Right. Well, and the important thing is the way that Abba reacted to it, right? Because that is the thesis statement of the book, is that the thing that Jenny says is, like, embroidered somewhere. She, like, cross-stitched it into something. It's return good for evil, like, turn the other cheek kind of vibe. Yeah. Don't eye for an eye this. Just positivity. It's clear that Grandma was like... If I go down this path, I will never come back from it. Which, like, <laughs> that's a, a valid response is to become, <laughs> like, a fucking vigilante. Like, I don't blame Right? You. We are cool with whatever you want to do about this. But it is very much coming from a place of Lisa J. Smith, yeah. right? Being, like, 
this is how you respond to racist violence is to turn the other cheek, which she can't really put into the mouth of a black woman without it being a problem, right? God, we hadn't even like touched that. Yeah, like the idea of, like you said, this is the thesis statement of the whole fucking thing. Coming from a black woman who has lost her husband to a quote-unquote racial incident, she said this. No, Lisa Jane said this. Just the layers of that, I'm not fucking equipped to talk about. (laughs) No, but it's... Yeah, as we said, it's the thesis statement. Yeah. Like, this is what Lisa Jane is coming at us with, is like, I understand that there will be racist violence, but we cannot stoop to their level. <laughs> Whatever happened to the tolerant left? Right. So it's just very, like, you know, in 1992, that was a way to feel. Yeah, that's what you were told is the right response. Yes, that is what we are told is the right response. And we're told that because we're not supposed to fucking disrupt the system, right? (laughs) And like, there there are folks who that vibes for, and I'm not here to harsh that, but like, it is also very valid. And I know that's something that you and me like talk about a lot Mm. is just the way of like justified anger and justified violence even the validity of that. And I I do feel like that's something that Lisa Jane and her books are sort of trying to shut down that maybe doesn't need to be shut down. Exactly. It's like, there is a time and a place for that kind of thing. Uh, That was a time and a place. (laughs) Right there, Abba. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. It's so hard. It's so hard to look at these books when you're dealing with the characters of color and being like, well, is it them? Is it not them? No, it will always be this kind of, like, character blackface. It's complicated, right? Because, like, obviously you want writers to not just write white people. I think it's worth noting that this is LJ's first black character, at least first significant black character. And canon, I think this is maybe her first explicitly character of color. You can infer that (gasps) Meredith was perhaps Hispanic. I forgot. (laughs) But it's not explicit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to have that in this, to have this setting of Southern California 1994 post-riots and to have these characters espousing like love over hate. It's it's a lot. Yeah. I know you'd mentioned that like there was a how to teach these books guide. Mm-hmm. This is not in the guides. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not covered. What is covered? Love wins. <laughs> Unless you're a homosexual, at which point you do not exist. People of color exist. I can see that. I can't see that a gay person exists. They're not rainbow colored. Can you imagine? You can only be gay in an LJ Smith book if you are a literal prism. If you are just Carolina Deaning it, like, right down the highway, you know? I need her to write, like, a fucking sci-fi series where it's like, these characters are obviously some type of queer. Because look at them. They shine like rainbows. Their skin is like opals. I mean, listen, there is an unknown territory for this, right? We haven't read those latter-day Vampire Diaries books. There may be the gays in there. We don't know. Maybe that's where she's keeping them all. My desire for Matt Stefan romance is huge. Oh, I'm sorry. That's never going to happen. It's really sweet that you, like, (laughs) thought of that. But it's definitely just, like, a Kevin Keller-esque side character. (sighs) 
I just so badly want the boys to hold hands. Yeah, well, mm. Lisa Jane says, no. hetero. <laughs> anyway, we sort of fucking started talking about this book, Welcome to Ollie. hour two. <laughs> All right, so the main point of chapter one is mm-hmm. that Jenny is being chased by some tough boys. They're only important later. And she gets herself into a store. She's looking for a game. Because it's her boyfriend Tom's birthday. And she's forgotten mm-hmm. everything because she's been taking care of everyone. She gets into a store to hide from these boys. And it just happens to be a game store called More Games. I would totally open up that shop. Love it. All right, that's chapter one. Chapter two. She's in the More Games store. <laughs> and chapter two, we've made it into the store. <laughs> This is so important. She's made it into the game store. There's all kinds of cool, like, games from not America. Let's just put it bluntly. Um, She finds a cork bulletin board with, like, this is the first time we see the word cyberpunk. And I do not think Lisa Jane knows what cyberpunk is, but whatever. No, I'm so curious to know what she thinks cyberpunk is. Anything with a computer. What her point of reference is. Because, like, it also comes up, I want to say, in, like, Vampire Diaries, there's somewhere else where she talks about, like, cyberpunk, and it feels like a word of the day calendar thing, where, like, I just learned this word, and I'm going to use it so many times. Right, where she's like, so the kids are talking about this new thing called cyberpunk, and I think (laughs) it's like when you go to, like, glow bowling, and everything's, like, (laughs) black light glowing and shit like that, and maybe there's some electronics. Have you seen Tron? I think it's like that. I think cyberpunk is just a synonym for neon and triangles. Neon, triangles, and computers? (laughs) Question mark? (laughs) That was written on her fucking idea board. (laughs) Neon, triangles, computers, question mark? (laughs) Julian equals cyberpunk boy, but also Byronic poet. So in my head, he's like wearing a black Hot Topic poet shirt and then like pleather black pants. And even though he's described as having white hair, I imagine like a streak of like hot blue, like just that neon blue. He does have that later. So that's canon. And that's his cyberpunk Byronic poet look. Now, Byronic poet is so interesting. What does that mean, Lisa? Byronic, if I remember correctly, refers to a time period, right? I'm going to Google it. it. Hold on. Yeah, Byronic. do it. Well, Byronic probably stemming from Lord Byron, who Mary Shelley didn't want to have a threesome with, so she came up with sci-fi. <laughs> May you ever be that reluctant to fuck, <laughs> honestly. Right, like, I don't want to have another tired threesome with Lord Byron, because he is boring as fuck, and I think he just wants to fuck me, but I think my husband just wants to fuck him. And instead, I'm going to write Frankenstein and create an entire new genre. I'm actually just like, I have a lot of feelings about not fucking these men (laughs) they can go fuck each other and like in the pure sense i give you my blessing (laughs) you two go make the peepees touch together (laughs) no yes dear it's lovely scribble 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 (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm going to have a lot of feelings about um, life and death and trying to overcome it. But mm, yes, your penises do look lovely together. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Forbidden cool game, says, everybody. Google says, Byronic means alluringly dark, mysterious, and moody, typically used of a man. So <laughs> fucking sure, LJ, whatever. Accurate. But, I mean, when you say Byronic to me, I just sort of think of, like, now how many ruffles are on his shirt, though? Right. So it's definitely, like, the cravat area. He's, like, Le Statelion with his, like, shirt, but make it black. Right. I appreciate- No, okay. But I will say that as somebody who just came off of Nano- Oh, yeah. And, like, the excruciating practice of writing- you can't see my finger quotes, but I hope my voice conveys them. Like, LJ's ability to convey images with very specific details. Clap, 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 lady. <laughs> Bandaged eye buildings. Like, there's a lot of stuff here where she just chooses a couple of details and, like, the story continues, but it's a very vivid picture. Good job, LJ. How does right? Who knows? You do good. She, some of her descriptions make me be like, are you fucking kidding me? My favorite, <laughs> and will forever be the favorite, comes in like another chapter or so. But like, she describes Michael's eyes and we'll get there. And I'm just like, la 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 are you serious? But then there's some times where it's like, she's just really fucking good at it. And then, later in the book, I was just like, everything is, this person did this thing like a blah blah blah. This person did this thing like a blah, blah, blah. And it just gets very infuriating because everything is just becomes metaphors. So I don't know. Sometimes she's very good at it. And sometimes you're like, you need an editor. I mentioned that like I listened to this book in audiobook format, right? This is the first time I've, I've listened to this book. Like, obviously, I've read it like a bunch of times. So I was like, I don't have time to read this week. I've been super busy. So yeah. I can just listen at work and it'll be fine. The difference of like audiobook to reading a thing is so significant, Ollie. Mm, yeah, I did want to know how you felt about that. I don't listen to audiobooks super often because I have a difficult time paying attention to them. Which is why I don't listen to podcasts even though I make them. <laughs> See, but I can, I feel like I can like keep up with a podcast, but a book where you really need to, and especially one where we're, like, talking about it, where, like, I need to be able to pay attention to it. Yeah. It's so difficult in audiobook format. And fucking clap, 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 Raven, that you do this regularly. Because I had such a terrible time just tuning out this book so badly. Meaning that you kept tuning it out? Yes. It would be going, and I would just float off. I, I'm going to be honest. I spent 90% of the time listening to this. Just sort of imagining how I would run it as an RPG for my friends <laughs> next Halloween. So, like, I got a lot of ideas there, but did I pay attention? Not a whole lot. Oh, no. So, it was mostly reminding you of the book that you had read 20 times before? Not even that. It just reminded me that I do really like this concept and I would like to see my friends react to it. Look, I really do hope they do make this into a series like preferably a limited series but like it is such a good idea 
It's so good. Yeah. Let's get to it. All right. She's in this game store and she meets Julian. Anything you want to say about this boy? Yes. What the fuck, Julian? (laughs) Julian, the first pickup artist. Oh, God. His negging was the worst. He's such a jerk. He's such a fucking jerk. And I do love this. Something that I did notice listening to it as opposed to like reading it. Because reading it, I do like skim you know Mm -hmm, because like i read this a bunch like i know what's gonna happen i could just skip to the next paragraph like so there were some things that i listened to and that sort of hit me that did not hit me in previous reads and one of those things was like jenny's pretty spicy and i respect her (laughs) there's a part where julian has been like very aloof and like do you even read comics yeah do you even play games well, you could play this game, or the Egyptian game of the dead, or the Eching. Eching isn't a game, Julian. Yeah, Julian. What are you, like, fake gamer boy? <laughs> <laughs> like, the there's a part where Julian is like, I don't know if I'm going to give this to you, because this game, maybe it's too special for you. He literally says, on second thought, I'm not sure I can sell it to you after all. It's really special. Unmundane. And Jenny is just like, oh, I understand this asshole suddenly. Yeah. He's a tease. He's just fucking with me. He knows he's pretty. He's probably used to being like fawned over constantly. And I do love the level on which Jenny in a lot of this book gets wise to Julian's bullshit and is just like, No, sir. We're not not doing that today. And, like, he does a good job of getting her once. And she's like, "Mm mm-mm, but not twice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she's like, no, I got it. If he fools her, he has to try a different tactic every time. He does. And that's very good. There's a lot of Jenny being much more of a badass in this book than I had previously come away with that impression, right? Yeah. She definitely, from their first interaction, is like, yep, maybe if I was that gorgeous, I could uh, be a tease too, but instead I'm going to mention my boyfriend. Yeah, and she comes at him, she's like, oh, I need like a party game that all of my friends could play, and Julian's like, oh, like a party game? Like a Mm. casual game? Mm. One of those games? Yeah, you sell games at this store, like you're (laughs) you're in the capitalism machine buddy let's go (laughs) that kind of game julian says and jenny's like yeah sell me pictionary asshole (laughs) give me outbursts let's go i love it i need something that i don't have to fucking set up or prepare for come on i do love it because jenny does say like i need a game that's seductive for tom and sophisticated for audrey and scary for d but it also has to play seven people and i hear in 2021 i'm like jenny that's a unicorn that game doesn't exist not without a lot of fucking prep if jenny came to you to your game store that you own my more games you're more games where you wear Byronic Poet cyberpunk outfit. <laughs> but I actually want to, like, make sales so I can pay my rent and my, you know, employees. Yes. And, and Jenny came to you and said, I need a game that's sexy 
for my boyfriend, sophisticated for my girlfriend, um, <laughs> scary for my other girlfriend, but it plays seven players. Oh, Jesus. What would you recommend? Um, so the sexy one is really hard. Isn't it? Like, that's just weird to me that you're like, I want a sexy game that I'm going to play with seven people. I'm like, well, there go the fuzzy dice. <laughs> um, sophisticated and dangerous? Sophisticated? What does that even fucking mean, Jenny? Like, I can get you some scary games, and I can probably find you some scary games that can play six to eight. Like, I think I could be like, here's Betrayal at House on the Hill. Right, right. Here's Mansions of Madness, Jenny. How much time do you have? None? Okay, well, you can't play Vampire the Masquerade because you need a GM. <laughs> Which is actually the thing that fulfills all of your requirements. Yeah, that, that can be sexy and mysterious and sophisticated and dangerous and scary and have, like, all that going on and it can play up to however many fucking people you want. You want to LARP it? <laughs> like, let me let me find you Los Angeles by night's, you know, Camarilla right? group. I do have this Mind's Eye Theater book. Yeah. $10. <laughs> but you're not going to be able to play it in an hour. Um, can his birthday be next week? <laughs> <laughs> right. But other than that, I, I, I wouldn't even be able to fucking tell you. Like, no, there's nothing that would fit that, Jenny. Like, who? E the fact that Jenny even assumes that there could be a game like that when her references to Julian are goddamn Pictionary and Outburst. Her desire is nice because she would like it to be all things for everybody. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to exist. So if somebody has this game out there that they're like, oh, fuck, I played that game and it plays seven or more. Tell us, fucking tell us, because it didn't exist in 1994. Right. Like in 2021, the best I can do is sort of recommend Elder Sign Jenny. And that's not sexy. <laughs> like unless you're really into tentacles, it's just really not sexy. I could recommend consentacles. <laughs> For your sexy and maybe sophisticated, but it is not scary unless Dee's scared of tentacles. <laughs> oh, so yes. I'm sorry, Jenny. You need to learn an RPG and you need to be more prepared. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the story of how Jenny becomes a GM. <laughs> <laughs> but she does it because Julian has this magical game. Because that... Julian's the GM. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Julian is the GM. He's like, my time is at hand. Oh my god, oh my god, everybody, it's happening. She wants the game that I made. <laughs> He's on the fucking AOL chat boards being like, she came into my store. She asked for exactly the kind of game I have been building. Guys, it's gonna happen. I'm gonna run the game. <laughs> and everybody's like, good luck, Julian. Hope it goes good. <laughs> Do you need some more, like, alien actors? No, but I could use some more dark elves. Oh, buddy, I'm there for you. Just tell me when. Uh, like, 1 a.m. tonight? Can do. <laughs> Does anybody know how to get Gamergrass to stick to skin? I'm having some trouble. <laughs> so I need something that will knock them out and let me move them to this location. <laughs> Right, Julian, on the dark web. Wait, Julian, I thought this was a game. <laughs> no, you don't understand. My career hinges on this. <laughs>
Wait, are you the same Julian that got kicked out of Gen Con last year? Jenny no, Con. No. Irrelevant. <laughs> okay. So anyway, we're on fucking chapter two. Fucking chapter two of 16. We're the worst. All right. So chapter two. Guess what, fellas? She picks up that book and says, yep, I am absolutely taking this home. And he's like, how about 20 bucks? And she's like, sure, fine, whatever. That's how you know he's, like, not actually in it for the money, because he's just like, oh, I don't know. Uh. Like, two back scratches and a nickel, that seems <laughs> That seems human. <laughs> 20 bucks. And, like, 20 bucks in 1993, that's a significant amount of money. That's, like, mm-hmm. several pizzas and bags of Doritos, which she mentions, and, like, probably that. two things of Pepsi. Like, she just put half of her, her funds into this game. <laughs> So they get, she gets back to her house and Audrey and Dee are there, but we're made very clear that Audrey and Dee are like oil and water and they fight, which is like, mm-hmm. always seems very put on, but whatever, I'll believe it. Sure, LJ. But like Audrey's there and we're, we're kind of like given the hints over the next couple chapters that like Audrey is the new girl in the group. She showed up like a year ago, I think. I don't think you can call that a hint when they just say the words in the book. Yeah, but like it's not the first thing. It happens like over the course of several chapters. So like applause to LJ Smith for not just being like, Audrey was the new girl. Like as soon as we see her. Audrey has this like... <laughs> way of every now and then inserting Italian or German, but never Chinese, even though she... She does also do French. And French, okay. But never Chinese, even though she has spent time also at a military base in China. Has she? I think so, yeah. uh, Or did she just have a Chinese chef? I was thinking about that earlier. Oh, you may be right. It was not made clear because it's not brought up too much. But yeah, so the point being that Audrey has lived in multiple different places, so she has this kind of worldly vibe about her. And Dee is one of Jenny's oldest friends, and the two of them are there, and they're helping Jenny set up for the party. Jenny's like, you guys, you saw right through me. And they're like, yeah, we fucking did. So Audrey's making food, and I'm here to make sure you make yourself beautiful. Go, 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 go. And then I think Michael shows up, and Zach, and then finally the boy of the oh, hour. Wait, what? Ollie. Yeah. Daddy was stationed in Hong Kong, so you were correct. Oh, look at that. But you know what? Good job. It's mentioned so briefly. So, anyway, Tom gets there, and somehow her parents leave, and they decide well, what's in this white box? Because the box, everyone. The box is like a shiny white box with nothing on it, but everyone who looks at it is like, I think I would like to play this. And Jenny's like, do you? What the fuck? All right. And like when they open it up, it's like a fucking paper dollhouse. And she's like, you still want to do this? They're like, I'm going to go get your little brother's crayons. Oh, look, there's also some, you know, colored pencils. Hooray. Now we can all do it. She's like, is this happening? Did I somehow like actually get an okay game? Okay, but let me just say, this is the platonic ideal of game night, right? Hell yeah. Everybody engage in the board game and not looking at their phones. Everybody participating. Well, granted, nobody had phones back then. This is true. But even if they did, I don't think they would care because this game is just so cool. That would actually 
be a very funny scene to see set in a modern version. So when they <laughs> go and make this, that'll be very funny to have like everyone just like slowly put their phones down. <laughs> <laughs> right? Just like, no, I'm actually really interested in where I'm gonna put this cardboard chair in the parlor. It's cool. I can color it and make it me. Look, there's little paper dolls and this is us. Yep, 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 yep. And it's a good idea. Listen, Julian has good ideas. He has a really great game. I would. You have a solid base. Yeah, if he could just make it not specifically about this one girl. I do have questions though. (laughs) So they discuss like, oh, you have to put the nightmares in each room, and the paper dolls are your like pawn. Yeah, they're your little meeples. And you move through the house, but like. In the directions that come in the book, is there a resolution mechanic? Right. If I go in and face the fear, do I, like, roll dice? Right. Like, what did the directions tell me to do when I go into the room? Because I feel like that's a very big missing piece here. <laughs> I don't know. You just face them. What does that mean? <laughs> right. And they're you like, I don't me. know. Ooh. I've only played Monopoly. I don't know how games work. Uh, I've played Pictionary, so I've got the drawing down. I guess we'll charades it out? I really don't know. Well, how do I know if I die or not? Because, like, that is a very real aspect of this game. I don't have hit points. Just like that portion of the rulebook where it just sort of says further instruction to come. (laughs) Yeah, because once they have this whole thing put together... There's, like, a card deck, kind of, that they flip over and it tells them things. And it's like, you hear a skittering above you. And they're like, but this is a ranch, lol. And then they hear a skittering. They're like, it must be squirrels. And if you open the doors, you'll find that they're locked. They're like, ha ha ha, it's just a game. Let me prove it to you. What? It's stuck. And, like, they keep flipping them and flipping them. So, presumably, these cards would tell you, like, what happens and how to, like... Oh, so it's, like, a card-flipping mechanic. Okay. Yeah, like, maybe it would show you, okay, you enter the first room and you have three minutes to get this person to admit their fear. But but it if it's going to be three minutes, then included in the contents of the board game should be an hourglass. Agreed. Because they didn't have phones, so how would they know? So they open this board game, and they put it all together, and they're all having a great time. Like you said, it's the platonic ideal of game night. Everyone is super involved and invested, and meanwhile, Jenny's like, uh, do I want this to be happening? I don't know. It feels really fucking awkward. Like, Jenny's intuition is tingling, but she ignores it, and she proceeds. Through. <sighs> Although, honestly, I don't know what would have happened if she just convince everybody to stop like i really don't feel like julian would have taken that lying down No, absolutely i don't know that there's anything that she could have done to stop this yeah but lo and behold they all get fucking sucked into the game and this is where it gets awesome it is super cool i love it i love the idea of like sucked into the board game and how many different ways people can do it and this one i mean this is just my favorite Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it. I love that you're sucked into this. They describe it as a three-foot-tall Victorian house once they've put the whole paper house together. And they they say paper, but we know it's probably like that good, stiff cardboard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's and, just tag board. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's three fucking feet tall, which means the first floor where the parlor is, the second floor where the haunted mansion hallway is, the third floor where the mirror house is, and then the turret. Like, that's Almost, like, fucking eight inches each. 
It's like, it's basically a Barbie playhouse. Yeah, that you just put together from a board game. It seems like it's good quality, so I feel like Julian really went the extra mile in terms of, like, materials. <laughs> They're like, kid, look, do you need to have the walls? Yes. <laughs> do you need, like, all four inks for this <laughs> wallpaper, though? Like, can't it just be black and white? No. No. I need the purple and the green in there as well. Spooky colors, he says <laughs> to the printer. <laughs> Spooky colors. <laughs> And it's great. And they get, they wake up in this parlor and Julian arrives. It's nine o'clock. He told her it would be nine o'clock when he saw her again. And he like starts showing off his powers by making Tom see what is later revealed to be rats. And then everybody disappears except for Jenny. Mm -hmm. And it's just her and Julian. And he reveals to her and us, the audience, the big deal. Like he kind of mentioned that she was the prize. But I think at this point he starts mentioning like, I love you. I've been in love with you for a very long time. Which, you know, that's creepy because he met her when she was five. It is both a creepy amount of time to be watching someone for 11 years and oddly short time for a primordial being such as himself to like be like, okay, you're 16. I can't wait anymore. Right. Because like there is that part in the flashback at the end of the book where Jenny is reliving like the stuff that happened to her grandfather and the other shadow men are like oh youth implying that Julian is like the youngest of them which How I think is he? it's clarified in later books that is true he is the youngest of them but yes how old is he how old is young to immortal beings yeah and like 16 years and Julian says like I love you you're the only one I'll ever love and presumably he calls himself loki like he's been yeah. around for a long time right like he, he's been around for at least several thousand years and so it's like well let's assume you're a teenager in the eyes of your elders that's still like 11 years is nothing to you you fell in love with a five-year-old <laughs> and we can't look at this too hard because like the idea is as it is with any other paranormal romance right it's just like for whatever reason, this immortal being is in love with this girl, and ours is not to reason why. <laughs> ours is to deliver packages. <laughs> right. Yep. We just kind of have to accept this, but it is wild. It's more creepy, though, than like an Edward Bella, where Edward meets Bella and she's already a teenager. Right. Because Julian, as you said, did fall in love with a five-year-old. Literally, instantly, and was like, I want to keep her. <laughs> and he's not shy about it. He, no. the first time that they talk about it, he tells her, like, ever since you were a child, blah, 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 blah. Like, you had a light, whatever he says to her. But he, light to the darkness, come to me. Right. He explicitly mentions that he's seen, he's known her since she was a child. So, he like, has watched her. And she, like, later on thinks about, like, uh, really believing him when he says that. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's actually really fucking creepy. I assumed that everybody else just ever got that feeling of being watched and, like, maybe he actually was there looking at me. And, like, she's 16, and I know her family has that whole, like, rule about being a virgin, but, like, <laughs> she's ever taken showers. Not canon. Not canon. <laughs> <laughs> Not canon. But here's the thing. 
Even if she took showers only in the dark, he's made of shadows. He's the shadow man. You bring up an excellent point, and it is something that I made note of, because there is a point where Jenny, quote unquote, reconciles with the idea that Julian has watched her since she was very young. Yeah. But her reconciling does not include the idea that Julian has seen her naked. Like, it only references the idea that he's seen her without makeup. Yeah, because he says, he's like, oh, whether or not you have makeup on or not. Like, "Uh, or clothes. (laughs) Right? Or clothes. Right? Like, that is not what Jenny or any human being would be worried about. It's like, it would be like, oh, Julian, you saw me shower. You saw me, like... Explore my body for the first time. You saw all those times (laughs) that I masturbated and like looked at that really kinky porn. (laughs) I know that we just started getting the internet. So you see my chat history. I know, I know. The idea that Julian knows like every weird thing that Jenny is into. But it's never framed that way. It's no, only and framed. And he's always in love with her, which quite frankly, if 16-year-old me had someone, like granted, I would never have a Tom, but if I had someone be like, yeah, I know everything because I'm always watching you. I'm in the shadows. I'm protecting you. Animals don't bite you because they know I'll bite them back. Uh, <laughs> every weird thing you're into, I think is great. I'd be like, okay, hold on. And what do I have to do? Because <laughs> I know. <laughs> You're interesting, <laughs> right? Let me let me make a catalog of all of this stuff that I don't want other people to know about that you're Did okay you know with. about this? Huh. You're more interesting than I could possibly be. We may actually have to date now because like <laughs> the idea that you accept all of my kinks is very liberating. Yeah, and and you like that about me? Wow. And like we <sighs> This is a weird sentence after that sentence, but like when she was five years old, she was a good girl, but she did like to be naughty and like she did go into the basement when she wasn't supposed to and she did touch all the stuff which she wasn't supposed to. So we know that Jenny's got a little bit of a like, I guess, naughty streak to her, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. She's not always perfect. She doesn't always follow the rules. So like... Not perfect Jenny would be super fun to see. I don't know how canon that is, though, because, like, L.J. Smith goes out of her way throughout the course of this book to emphasize, like, the goodness of Jenny versus the badness of Julian. Yeah. It's just, she doesn't have to be, like, you know, stealing shit. But there is definitely, I can't reconcile that five-year-old who would be like, hmm, Grandpa's not here. I'm going to wander around and look at everything, even though I don't know how to read yet. Oh, there's this door back here. I'm going to open it. Like, she's got a curiosity, I think, is really what it is. You know how you reconcile that with the fact that the one time she was curious, her grandfather got eaten by the shadow okay. men. <laughs> Super fucking valid. <laughs> but yeah, Julian has seen Every ugly moment, and maybe all of those instances and incidences, incident, incidents, incidents, maybe they made her this good. Like, maybe that is why. Like you said, the one time I fucking did something I wasn't supposed to, Grandad got eaten by a closet. (laughs) (laughs) That's, 
Okay, though, like, I I love this book and I love Jenny because she's got a very interesting arc in terms of, like, the strength that she summons, the, like, distance that she gains from Tom. Yeah. All of that is good. But I am very interested in a version of this book where where Julian is madly in love with just a really fucked up person. <laughs> the the idea of like this ancient hot immortal dude just being like I love every part of you. Like I'm into it. Look at you, you human. You're into that weird shit. I guess that's weird. It's not weird for right. me. <laughs> You're the sunshine to my darkness, the Persephone to my Hades. <laughs> We go together like Ramalama, Ding Dong, Shabop, Shabop. <laughs> I'm gonna put on a sweater vest for you. I love you. <laughs> uh, yes, no, I agree. I would love to see that because I would also uh, thought I'd had a moment ago was I would love to have seen a story like this where she didn't have a Tom. Right, right. Where like maybe she was thinking about dating some dude. Maybe she had previously dated some dudes. The fact that she's dated Tom since second grade is wild to me that Julian didn't step in at that point. <laughs> there's a lot of, and this this feels like LJ. Again, there's so much of this book that is inseparable from, like, the figure of LJ Smith in her blogs and her tweets and her Facebook mm-hmm. posts that's difficult to separate from the characters. But, like, the idea that Jenny has loved Tom since they were children and that's good <laughs> is <you>. wild <laughs> yeah like so you were describing the rematch sequel mm-hmm. and the idea of the parents being like you're too young and her being like i've loved him since second grade and it's like have you <laughs> do you, you were know in what second love grade. is <laughs> <Right>? child <laughs> you are literally a child i i feel like as an adult that's where and I, like, these are our books meant for teenagers. 12-year-old me lived for Ate it, this you know? Up, I'm sure, yeah. Yes, but, like, as an adult, reading, and it's intentional, right? Because, like, LJ obviously writes Jenny as being codependent on Tom when Tom is being an asshole intentionally. Because, like, as the books go on, she gets further and further from Tom. She, like, gains independence. Like, yeah. All of that's intentional, so I don't want to critique that, but like right, that is part of the point of the narrative. Yes. But in the end, Jenny does end up with Tom, right? So like this idea that she has been in love with him since they were children is very romanticized and like she gains independence from him, but that love endures. Only to choose him yes. actively later. But but you and me are both here, like, I know you, I, one of your tweets that you sent to me was like, I want Jenny to experience life. Yeah. I want her to, like, be involved with people other than Tom. And the way that Jenny talks about being so wrapped up in Tom, like... Down to the way she wears her hair because Tom likes it. Ugh. Right. Which, which, which tells me that, like, one time Tom commented about liking it. And or another time commented about, oh, I prefer it when your hair is up. And that sunk into her. Whether or not this dude realized she hangs on his every word. Like, I don't 
again, internally in the narrative versus LJ Smith. I don't blame Tom for being the way he is. He is, again, mm-hmm. a literal child. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, like, she lived and died by his word. He says, oh, I love it when your hair is up. Or, huh, your hair's down. Mm, I like it better when it's up. And she fucking, this is the way she does it. This is a rule that she added to her book, right? Like, yeah. always wear my wear hair. hair up because Tom likes it that way. Wear long skirts because Tom likes it that way. Well, and like, because Tom is very sparse in this book. Like, we don't really get to know Tom until the next book. Yeah, I remember knowing him more in the second one. But like, what we see of Tom in this one is mostly Jenny's reaction to him. And in the parlor, like when they first get transported into the house, Tom is very angry and upset. And there's a lot of times where Jenny, like, says, oh, he snaps at me because he's unsure of what's going on, because he's scared. Like, there's a lot of times where Tom reacts aggressively, and Jenny- She's got an excuse for it. Yes. How long did she put up with him being just shitty before she realized it? Right. At least we can see that Tom understands how good Jenny is, and he, like, respects the fuck out of the fact that she's with him. At the end. Well, we see it at the end, yes. But, like, his fear has always been losing her from Mm -hmm. when he wrote it down on the paper. So we know that he's been going through this whole thing with that fear in mind. So it's like, it's good that Tom recognizes that Jenny is very good. Because if he didn't, I would have a lot more concerns about him. I hope that he ever grants her the same grace that she grants him. Yes. I guess we'll we'll see as we get into the further books, but it's like, she starts to change. She starts to grow. Like, this was going to fucking happen. She's 16. Things are different, you know? Yeah. All right, so they're in the parlor. <laughs> Stupid, we're on chapter three. No, we're not on chapter three. We're further. Move quickly. What happens? Ollie. All right, this is very simple. Julian's gone. All of the friends are disappeared. He says that Tom is up at the top. And if you can make it by sunrise, which is exactly 6.11 this morning, the door will be open to your world up there. Like, the door will be open. And she says, all right. So she has to just find her other friends, deal with their fears, deal with her own fear, deal with Tom's fear. And then, presumably, we can get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to list them and then we can discuss anything that we want to discuss. Mm-hmm. First, she finds D, and D is afraid of aliens. Then she finds Audrey, and Audrey is afraid of the Black Forest, a.k.a. the place where all of the fucking Hansel and Gretel bullshit, all of that. Dark elves, etc. Dark elves, all of the the bad shit that happens in fairy tales happened in the Black Forest. That's Audrey's. Then she finds Michael, and Michael is afraid of basically like a Stephen King novel, but where like a girl was so dirty that she like started growing plants all over her. So he's afraid of like that. Gross. Then, ultimately, she finds Zach, her cousin. Nope, Summer, you skipped Summer. Oh shit, you're right, you're right. Then she finds Summer, and Summer is afraid of, like, a comment that her grandmother made about, like, your room is such a mess, someday you're gonna get lost in there. It looks like a her- Earthquake. Earthquake. I'm like, one of these. Looks like an earthquake hit, blah, blah, blah. There's gonna be things growing in there. Oh, there's gotta be bugs. And some basically some, some bullshit that her grandmother said. Then, ultimately, she finds Zach, who is basically afraid of himself. Zach um, has a lot going on. He has a lot going on. We are definitely going to talk about Zach. Then she finds her own fear 
which is the last one before Tom. Uh, and her fear is remembering what happened to her when she was five, which we have both talked about and alluded to in our conversation here. It's also very good. It's super good. So those are the six fears before we get to the finale showdown in the turret. Okay. Can I just say, overall, I love how specific everything is. Like, we've talked about good writing in terms of, like, Holly Black and other people is, like, specific things. Yeah. So, like, there's a part where (laughs) one of the many times, as you alluded to earlier, Jenny passes out, right? (laughs) Because Jenny can't stop passing out. Right. Listen, you're in a house where all of your worst fears come to life. Passing out seems pretty valid. It's a tried and true HP Lovecraft technique. When things become too much, you pass out. There's definitely a comment later on where it's like, when you pass out so much, you get used to time, you know, time having passed. I'm like, "Mm, this is true as a person who passes out a lot. (laughs) Well, it's just, it's good, right? Because like, there's a part where Jenny passes out and she's like, The only other time I've passed out when I was sick and I got up to tell my brother to turn off his fucking cartoons and then I passed out. And it's just like that specificity is very good. It carries on through the other characters. So like D is specifically afraid of technology and alien power because it's something that she can't defeat with her physical prowess. Right. She can't punch it. Audrey is afraid of specifically like this forest and the folk tales that were impressed upon her as supernatural. Like like Jenny mentions it early on. She's like, Well, Audrey doesn't like the supernatural, so it's gonna be something fucking wild. Right? And like Audrey grew up in Germany hearing all of these folk tales and like it's it's very specific to the character, right? And then like Michael, I love Michael's fear. It's like I read a children's book when I was a kid. When I was myself a children. Right. And like this girl had things growing on her and like it was obviously just a story about how children should be clean, but I internalized it and now I'm terrified. 17-year-old me is terrified of the idea of, like, things growing on me. Yeah, he comments about, like, and the parents picked the radishes from her. And I was like, yeah, no, that's horrifying. Right? And the characters, too, they're like, stop talking because that sounds terrible. Yeah. I love that everyone's fears. They're like, it's so, so, so ridiculous. And they're like, no, when I see it from your perspective, that's absolutely disgusting or horrifying or whatever. Right? And, like, Summer, you know, Summer is specifically afraid of, like, a comment that her grandmother made about how her room is too messy. Like, Mm -hmm. And then they get there and they're like, wow, your room is a mess. And she's like, it's obviously not this messy in real life. This is my nightmare. (laughs) I love that. I did love that. (laughs) But just the idea that, like, these fears are very specific to them and they make sense. Yeah. So with D... There's like a character part that makes sense. Oh, yes, she is brave and strong and beautiful. (laughs) And so therefore, something that she couldn't punch makes sense. Okay, fine. Audrey. Audrey has been all over the place. Maybe she picked up some stuff and is afraid of this particular thing from this particular place she lived. All right, fine. But Michael's and Summer's are just character development. Mm -hmm. They're just like, you wouldn't know from Summer. Like, Summer doesn't show up as a rumpled mess. She shows up and she's cute and, you know, everybody treats her like fucking infantilizing. Mm -hmm. So you'd think it would be something that we've already met, basically, Mm -hmm. with her. But it's not. It's just 
yeah, my room's a fucking mess. And my grandma made this offhand comment and like my mind exaggerates it. Mm -hmm. And Michael's is, I read this book that I never brought up any time earlier, but it creeps me out and I worry about plants growing all over me. Mm -hmm. How fucking great is that? It's great. And then Zach and Jenny's are extremely specific and personal. Okay. Should we get to Zach? Should we move on to we need to talk about Zach? Let me just think about... So I think the only comments I wanted to make were the scene that uh, sticks out the most to me in this book has always been the Earl King. Okay. Like, when I think about the Forbidden Game, I think about the Black Forest. I think about those German boys sacrificing the girls down the hole to the Earl King. Like, because the Fae are so important to me, that whole thing stuck with me since the first time I read it. And it was just as good the second time. You know, I canonically, I think the closest thing that we get to classifying Julian as is a genie. Mm -hmm. But for me, this has always felt like a Faye story. Yeah, no, absolutely. As established in this book, Julian can only do things that Jenny consents to, that he's bound by language some rules yeah oh god his fucking fey bargain bullshit oh love it <laughs> yes the loopholes he's like well technically speaking i said this and i'm like i <laughs> fucking love you <laughs> yes you have to give me the answer to your riddle not just tell me she's like ah, ah, ah. no i'm not doing that <laughs> So it makes sense that, like, the thing that would resonate for you is, like, the depiction of Julian as the horned king, right? Yeah. This absolutely would have been a good follow-up to the Holly Black um, modern fairy tales. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that scene always stands out to me. I love that. Yes. Though two notes of, if people are reading this, beware, be careful, etc. There's... Any, like I said, homophobia, transphobia in those scenes where Jenny just so casually says it. And it's like over a hundred pages into this book. She just makes a comment about these are such strapping young lads, but they've got braids in their hair and they don't think it's weird to be, um, you know, making flower crowns. But she says like a super homophobic word. And it's not said in such a way that like 1994 readers would be like, what? Like, she doesn't say, they sure don't seem like, you know, gay. She says, he calls them sissy. Yeah, but she doesn't call them it. Like, it's a weird way of phrasing it where I'm like, this is extremely that time period. So that that pulled me immediately out where I was like, ooh, wow, huh. I don't remember that. The other bit that's in there is when they first go down into the hole uh, where the, the dark elves and the Earl King live. And this is all coming from Andre's mind, but it's still all coming from L.J. Smith's mind. All of the dark elves who are waiting there for them each have a quote-unquote deformity. Mm-hmm. And some of them are like, yeah, you literally have cow hooves for right. like one of your hands, which is like... Or a flipper. Right. Well, the flipper one, I'm like, mmm, that's ableist as fuck right there. So there's some of it that is like... Ah, uh, okay, these seem like they're part animal, but then others where I'm like, well, that's that's just a normal thing that can happen to a, a human person. Mm-hmm. So there is definitely some othering of people yes. in basically like that scene and the visitors as well. Again, coming from a haunter background, I've had a hard time personally reconciling 
what we are afraid of, where it's like, the answer is usually people who are different from us. Mm -hmm. And it's really on display in these two particular scenes. Yes. Michael and Summers is much more about cleanliness, which can also be kind of ableist. Uh, No, flat out, it can be ableist. When someone like can't clean themselves or can't clean their room, you would think it wouldn't be. You'd be like, well, obviously you should clean yourself and you should clean your room. Sure, but some of us literally can't. And so you hopefully don't end up growing radishes. (laughs) But that fear stems from that. Now, before I move on to the last three bits before the tower, Mm -hmm. did want to mention Summer does not survive. (laughs) I like how that's sort of a footnote in our discussion. It's just like, yeah. Because summer doesn't matter. Summer dies. Whatever. Let's talk more about the racism, though. We we try so hard in these to just have fun and talk about a book. We're like, "Mm, there's some serious issues going on here that are inherent to the time period they were written in. But you know what one of those serious issues is not Summer dying, because who cares? It's not. It's not. Because she's treated like a child anyway. The only thing her death does is serve to prove that Jenny can't actually protect Summer, which is all Summer was there for. Literally, Jenny calls herself out on it early on. She's like, if Summer was here, at least I'd have someone to protect. Um, You were telling me that the audiobook reader even went as far as to give Summer a kind of baby girl voice. Yes, which is actually, I think we started talking about it earlier, but because we're drunk, we sort of just... Yeah, I want to make sure we get back to that. ...to and fro about what we were talking about. But like, one of the problems that I had with this audiobook, and like not calling out the person who read it or anything, this may just be just an interesting difference in like reading it versus hearing somebody's... Because when you're listening to an audiobook, you're listening to somebody's interpretation of the text, right? Like yeah. the way that somebody says something when they read it in the audiobook is maybe not the way that you personally would interpret that thing when reading it, which is something that I ran into a lot, right? Like so like Michael in the audiobook is awful. Oh. There are so many things in this audiobook when I listen to it where if I listen to this this was my only inclination or uh, introduction. Right. Like maybe even as a teenager, when I was more forgiving, I might have been like, this book sucks because all of these characters are so fucking whiny. <laughs> Where like, just because of the voice that the narrator gives them or like the intonation that they speak certain lines with, like it- it's one person's or one group of people's, like the producers of the audiobook's particular interpretation of how the text should be read. Oh, question. Was it just one person or did it have a cast? Oh, no. It was just one lady. Okay. Um, whereas, like, I noticed a lot of differences because I've read this book so many times myself. You know Michael's a good boy. Yes. And there are parts that have become rote to me, right? Where, like, this line is said in this particular way. And that's because the character is this way, right? Where, like, I listen to this person's interpretation of that line, and it's very different. So because of that, because of, oh my god, she has an awful Jenny voice. Her Jenny voice is, like, very high-pitched and, like, valley girl. Oh no. I would be out. Right. I would be like, you know, I don't think I can handle this one. Right. And it's just so interesting that, like... 
the way that you project their attitude while they're saying things. Right, your own reading on it. Yeah. So just, like, listening to this interpretation of it, I felt like a distance from the material that I've loved for 20 years, you know? Yeah. I can see a reading where this this series that I think is really good is actually bad. <laughs> this is so interesting. Because it means that, like, if someone read it and they were like, yeah, no, I found the character super annoying and, like, vapid and shallow. And it's like, oh, yeah, I, I can see that. I don't personally see that, but I can see that. Right. And there's a particular instance of it. There's a part where they're going to Summer's room and like the whole thing is a joke because they go to Summer's door and they ask her like, Summer, what's going to be in this room? Because nobody has shared. Right. And she tells. Yeah. And Summer is just like, oh, it's a messy room. And they're like, Summer, come on. She's like, a messy room. No, it's a messy room, you guys. And then Jenny is like, it's okay, Summer. We'll deal with it. As we, we get, get to there. it. Yeah, she's being gentle. Yeah, and then she hits the button and the door opens. And the punchline is, it was a messy room. Yeah. <laughs> but the way that it's communicated in the audiobook, you get like some of those lines, you get the general gist of it, but then you get to the punchline. And it's very casual. It's the reader is just like, it's a messy room. And then she moves on to the next paragraph. <sighs> it doesn't feel like a joke. That is so unfortunate. I feel like... Every book deserves to have an audiobook reader who has read the material and been like, hmm, okay, I get it. Like, I know sometimes authors are able to work with their uh, audio artists, and that's Mm -hmm. great, but it definitely sounds like that one was just, like, going in with no direction. (laughs) And it makes sense because, like, the audiobook was created in, like, 2008 to 11 you know like when they were reissuing the omnibus you you probably aren't gonna call up the author for something that's basically a cash-in but there is a lot of stuff in the audiobook that i feel is a victim to not really understanding just the the material which is not to say that like oh lj smith was operating on the level that you plebs (laughs) don't understand no it's literally a joke it's just it's not Maybe what the author intended, or just maybe like a more charitable interpretation of the text. Yeah, especially as a reader who has read this particular series many, many times, Mm -hmm. you have dissected it. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, there are ways that I picture the lines going. Like, I picture Michael as a more sarcastic person, and the audiobook reader portrayed him as a whinier person and like i'm sure both interpretations are more valid but one of them is more tolerable so i love michael like i remember again us chatting and you'd messaged me and you're like michael and guillermo are the only fat rep that is good (laughs) and it's like michael is such a good boy he is like, you know, he said, he's like, oh, no, I am uh, a known coward. I'm not going in first. Like, I just, I love him. He's never like the butt of the joke because he's fat. He's never even the butt of the joke. He's the one who makes the jokes. And it's never even about his weight. He's a tall teddy bear of a dude. And I'm like, oh, instantly I know what you look like. Oh, you're interested in these egg rolls. <laughs> I hear you because your girlfriend just made them and they're delicious. 
Right. There's a lot of that with Michael where like you get the sense that like the the fatness is supposed to be the joke or the cowardice is supposed to be the joke, but it's so relatable that you're like- It just feels like a teenager. Right? Why would you open that door, Michael? You're in a house that might eat you. Like, fuck it. You've got D here. She's way braver than you. Make her open it. Not even make her suggest that she can be the one and she'll do it. And that's another thing that I do like. She's very specific about everybody has their own particular type of bravery. Yeah. Audrey is able to communicate with, like, the Dark Elves, even when she's really afraid of them. Mm-hmm. And she comes out of it and she still has her hair combs, like, in her <laughs> hand. I love that Michael, he comes up with the idea of, oh, we could burn the plants that are on us. And Dee says, I'll try it on me. And he goes, no, me. One, I want them off, but two, if it's gonna fuck up, might as well try it on him first. Right. And then there's a joke about how he says, well, I can endure this with the right kind of incentive. Right. He finds humor in the moment to pull him through. Yeah. And and that's nice. That's a nice celebration of the differences in the characters. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> it's part of what makes Summer's little chapter feel like such a not important thing because she doesn't. Right. And that is something that's also sort of seeded through the book is like, Julian, from day one is like, listen, what of you isn't going to survive? Isn't strong enough for this. I don't want to name names, but cough, cough, summer. <coughs> summer, yeah. <laughs> like, we all knew from the get go. I pulled five out of five people in this group, and they all said summer is the weakest link. Summer won't be able to face this on her own. If summer. If other people could face it for Summer, she would both let them, and they would. I do like that it takes away Jenny trying to do something for someone, and just lets her do it for herself and the group. Yeah, where, like, it ups the stakes in terms of, like, what Julian is willing to sacrifice. It makes Julian more of a threatening person when you get to the third book. It, it's sort of a reverse Damon, where it's like, oh, the teacher stabbed him first, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I liked it so much better when you were willing to actually uh, follow through on your threats. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Julian doing a lot of bullshit, mm-hmm. most of the group is back together. They just don't have Zach and they know where Tom is. They wander off trying to find people, but. Jenny's having a meltdown because obviously Summer is dead. Yes. And the others wander off. Dee says, stay here. Stay here. Stay here. (laughs) Jenny, Jenny, look at me. Look in the eyeballs. Stay. Stay. No. (laughs) Stay. Utterly incapable. Can't not. Wanders off. And she finds Zach in his dark room, which is the garage at home. And she finds him there and he's like, just like staring off and he's trying to make this picture. It was all set up for him and blah, blah, blah. It turns out it's Julian. Guys, surprise. Surprise. It's Julian. I know you thought it was Zach. I was so uncomfortable with the scene because the thing I didn't mention just now is that they like, she tries to pull him away. It's very emotional. She's holding him and he's holding her and she's like encouraging him to hold her because this is her cousin and she doesn't want her cousin to die. She just lost Summer, who is just her friend. You know, she was the one who came in before Audrey, but like, you know, she wasn't there the whole time and she's not my 
cousin. You're my cousin. And then he kisses the back of my neck. And that's okay, because it's okay, because we're cousins. But then he kisses the back of my neck again, and it's like, oh no, maybe I shouldn't be reacting this way. What is happening? Whoa, hey, whoa, we're cousins. And, Ju- and Julian Zag is like, half cousins. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay. And then they're kissing, and it's like hot. She's describing it as hot. And I'm like, nope, uh-huh. nope, 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 nope. Uh, you have been raised as cousins, half cousins. I don't care. He is your cousin. You pulled that out of left field. <laughs> and then <laughs> you have to foreshadow the incest, says Ollie. <laughs> No, no, no. The half-cousins was pulled out of left field. Like, you know, you can't just be like, half-cousins. That doesn't make this any better. This is not Ethan Frome. I am not allowing the cousin incest. This is not 1886, okay? (laughs) I don't have to worry about it, but I do. Uh, Because turns out it's Julian. And for like two sentences, Jenny thinks, did I know? Did I know? Did I know? Okay, can I... Yep. Do you, do you have anything else to say before I rewind? Please. Please rewind. Okay, so here's the thing. You're Cinna 2001, right? You're a child. You read this and you interpret this as like Jenny knew from the beginning that, it was that this was actually Julian. And okay. that's why she allowed the sexiness to continue, right? Okay cousin stuff that's not cool (laughs) but he's not really her cousin he's a sexy shadow man so it's okay when they do the sexy stuff do you need me to look like your cousin i can look like your cousin (laughs) fast forward you're sitting in 2021 you're listening to this on audiobook at work two days ago how red was your face it wasn't red but i was very horrified because she does not know (laughs) There's a significant period of time where Jenny feigns not knowing that it's Julian. And I don't know how much we're supposed to accept as Jenny knew it, finger quotes, all along. But Mm -hmm. there is a long part of the narrative where Jenny just thinks that Zach is making out with her. Yeah. And it's... Not something that she puts a stop to because it makes her horny. Mm-hmm. She's like, my body shouldn't react. Wait, hold on. Let me see. So, like, I want to read this mm-hmm. to give people context. But also, but also, incest. it's creepy because, like, she she's kissing her cousin mm-hmm. in her head. All right. So that's, I guess, my warning. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to inflect not with sexiness <laughs> how about that okay okay it's just deadpan as hell yeah okay i'll start with zach saying it's okay he said we're together now we'll make things okay a hose and a band-aid aren't going to help this time jenny thought but it was easier just to hold on to zach tighter and tighter exchanging comfort without words he was stroking her hair and it felt good soothing she seemed to find strength flowing from his body to hers and something else. A warmth that surprised her. Zack was usually so cool. Now he was holding her and caressing her, almost as if she were some toddler that needed pacifying. Or as if he weren't her cousin, but her boyfriend. She pushed the thought away. Zack was just being kind. He wanted to help. And he was helping. 
She felt better, simply absorbing his sympathy, his affection, his tenderness. I put that pause there because it's there. Yep, yep, yep. She leaned against him, letting him support her weight, feeling secure, cared for, safe. When he kissed the back of her neck, it was so tenderly it didn't disturb the safe feeling. Zack was nice. She loved him, and she was happy to know he loved her. When he kissed her again, an unexpected tremor ran through her. Now, she wasn't supposed to feel like that. Not with Zack. He shouldn't. He really shouldn't. Read, she's horny. (laughs) But she didn't want to pull away from him or spoil the moment. His lips were warm on the back of her neck. A shock of sweetness passed through Jenny, this time too strong to be ignored. That felt... She knew she mustn't feel that way. Her hands went up to his arms to push at him. Zack, she whispered. I think we're both a little upset we're not ourselves. I know, Zack said, as if it hurt him. I'm sorry, I... He straightened, loosening his grip a little, but then he kissed her hair. She felt his lips moving, felt his warm breath there. Zachary, she said. It's wrong. We're cousins. Literally a line from an incest fic. Can we just acknowledge that? (laughs) The problem was that although her words were strong, her voice wasn't. She could barely breathe, and she didn't move away. Half cousins, he said. (laughs) It was we're step cousins. (laughs) (laughs) It was true, although Jenny seldom thought of it. Her mother and his were only half sisters. And besides, I can't help it. I can't help it. His kisses were coming faster. I'd like to note at this point, I thought Julian was possessing him. You thought Julian was like littering Zachary's body? Yeah, where he's like, I can't help it, I can't help it. His urgency caught Jenny in a rush of elemental feeling. She kept thinking, but there's something else, without remembering what that something else was. At this point, I think she's probably picking up on it. Then she whispered, but Tom, and shock swept over her. She hadn't thought about Tom since, since she couldn't remember when. Can I just pause and say that, but Tom should really not be your first objection here. (laughs) Well, she did try, but cousins. And he went, I've got, I've got a cure for that. Half cousins. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I know, but I feel like we should roll back too. Let's try that again, Jenny. Can we try that key again and just like see if it maybe unlocks the store? Like it's a second time. Just like, you know, amuse me. Can we just say again that we're cousins and maybe not just skip right to I have a boyfriend? Right? So, uh, she couldn't remember when. Zach was saying that he couldn't help Tom either. He doesn't deserve you. The words came on a warm wave of breath in her ear. He doesn't love you enough. I was always afraid to say it, but you know it's true. Despite his slimness, Zach's muscles were hard against hers. Why are we going here? It's not just his muscles. Like, what the f- Jenny tried to protest, but the words caught in her throat. And now I know you don't love him enough either. You weren't meant to be with him. Zach's voice was soft and reasonable, his words running together in a velvet sound. Then he was looking down at her. A clear light seemed to shine through his intense face. His winter-gray eyes looked almost pale blue. You can't fight something like this, Jenny, he whispered. You know you can't. Jenny shut her eyes and turned her face up. He okay, kissed her. Okay, okay. Jenny still has not acknowledged that this isn't Zack. Yeah, not and really. she is turning her face up and closing her eyes. Yep. Like, there have been two moments where it's like, mm, Jenny's got some idea, but... They don't acknowledge it for several more pairs. 
crabs. Yep. Yep. I'm not going to read the rest of it, but like, he kisses her. They keep kissing. Still kissing. She makes whimpering noises. And then it's Julian. And then the paragraph I will read is her internal thought of being too shocked to be angry. So it's like, if you're too shocked to be angry, you didn't acknowledge it and you thought you were kissing your cousin. Did I know? Did I know underneath before he kissed me or while he was kissing me? But before I pulled away, did I know? Could I possibly have known? Jenny, you know what? It's better that it was Julian. (laughs) Because this is your actual cousin. You could never, ever, ever not have this between you. Right? You should be relieved. Like, did I know it was Julian? You should be like, I knew it was Julian. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of being like, fuck, 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 did I know? Because that paragraph feels like a a thing from Jenny being like, did I fuck up? Did I know that it was him all along? Where it should be like a relief. Oh, I thought it was him and it was him. Great. Oof. I did not think that I was making out with my cousin, which was making me extremely horny. Because this is like the most intimate that Julian and Jenny get in the book. Uh, This is the most intimate Jenny gets with anyone in this particular book. Right. Like they make out. There's like three paragraphs describing their kiss. There's coded boners in here. Mm -hmm. Like I think they have another kiss towards the very, very end that is like... Still not as intimate because she's doing it like to fuck with him. Right. Because it's a ruse. Yeah. But this is the place where Jenny loses herself explicitly. And it's while Jillian looks like her cousin. Either way, Jenny, this does not come out good for you. But it does come out better if you thought it was Jillian and not just your super hot half cousin question mark. (laughs) Have fun with that. Go to lots of therapy. Maybe we could just not, LJ. Maybe it could be Michael. I don't know. But Maybe like, it could have been, you know, D, who's so beautiful. I keep mentioning uh, all the time. That would be much better if it was just like, You're my oh, best friend. We shouldn't do we this. Shouldn't. You're like a sister to me. But you're not, not actually, actually my sister. sister. <laughs> so it would be okay. Because half cousins, still cousins. L.J. Smith, who thinks incest is less problematic than queerness. Correct. But. So, Zach. Poor Zach. Yeah. Like, a thing that hit me in this reading in particular is the way that Zach's fear is himself, right? Yeah. Julian kind of makes it into like, oh, it's because of his father and like the the conflict between like Zach's artiness and his father's hunterness, like his boomerness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like his dad is like a crossbow champion, and Zach takes super arty photographs, which are very cool, by the way. I would love yeah, some of Zach's no, photographs. Absolutely. They sound fascinating. I know at the very beginning of the book, L.J. Smith gives a nod to the person who lent Zach the photos, basically, that she's, like, making specific reference to one of her friend's photos. That's very cool. Yeah. I thought it was neat. But yeah, so it's like, that never has felt like what it really is. It's not about his dad. It feels more like, oh, I'm related to Grandpa, and Grandpa went... uh, Crazy? Crazy. Yeah, I was trying to find a better word. Everyone thinks Grandpa went crazy. And attacked Jenny and then ran off once he realized what he was trying to do because it's very coded as like possible sexual molestation to everybody's eyes. Yes. 
where like she was found with her clothes torn and her feet and her knees and her hands had scrapes and cuts on them because of the ice and whatnot, as we learn in her chapter. Right. Um, But everyone else just saw what Jenny looked like and that grandpa was no longer around and he's related to that grandpa. So he's spent his whole life thinking there's something in him that might ever do that to a person, a girl, Jenny. And it's very interesting the way that this feels like the key to Zach. Once we get to the sequence and we hear about all of Zach's fears in relation to going insane, right? Yeah. He's definitely worried that he's going to end up like Grandpa. Right. And there have been so many things that LJ has mentioned going into this, right? Where like Zach was one of the first ones while they were like reading the cards who felt compelled to keep pulling the cards. Yeah, and he got all distant in the parlor. Yeah, where he he just seemed to sort of accept everything. And when you get to the sequence, you finally find out why. He thinks he's he's hallucinating. Yeah, he expected it. He's like, oh, I've known this was coming. Like, I always knew that because of what our grandfather did to Jenny, which, you know, cough, cough, molestation. Like, Mm -hmm. someday I too would do this, possibly to Jenny. Right, that something bad was coming down the barrel for me. Yeah. And he's clearly been dealing with, like, depression because of it. Because, like, she comments about how he used to be one way back before they moved, which they moved to California after the stuff with Grandpa, and that he finds photographs easier to deal with than people, and on and on. There's just a lot of really coded mental health issues for Zach. Well, and Zach says that the hunter, which is the thing that he and Jenny have to confront before they can get to Zach's door Mm. to progress in the game, is, and I quote, the part of me that wants to destroy me. Yeah. That's so fucked up. There's something in Zach that Zach has been grappling with to the extent that- wants to hurt him. Or he thinks wants to hurt him. That this is his deepest fear. The part of himself that hates himself and wants to destroy himself. Yeah. It is super dark. There was a comment in there too. You knew we we were going to get kidnapped by the Shadow Man? After he says he's known this was going to (laughs) happen. I knew I was going to go crazy. Actually, kidnapped by the Shadow Man is a really interesting way of putting it. (laughs) I'm just like, oh baby. (laughs) You have some serious depression there's so much for zach like he's in a different novel 100 percent. like especially in contrast to not to say that the other spheres aren't interesting and thoughtful but like zach is essentially like suicidal in a way like there's just he would have accepted all of this being like, nope, yeah. this is good. Better for me to be killed by this thing for, than for me to do whatever it is Grandpa tried to do. And, and that's what I mean by, like, the fears get from broad, even though they're very specific, down to this super, super, super personal, intimate horror. And it's so interesting because this is tied so tightly into, and it's even, like, the progression for the novel, right? Because, like, you start with D, who's, like just generally like establishing how the 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 dreams work and like how facing your fears work with like something like aliens which yeah. fits for her character but is not applicable to Jenny 
And then you go to like Audrey, who's like, here's all the Norse mythology stuff that is applicable to what we're dealing with, Jenny. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then Zach, who is like, no, Jenny, my fear is specifically applicable to the thing that you have repressed. Yup. Your fear caused my fear. Or, or your experience that gave you your fear caused my fear. Because it affected our whole family. And it's such good build-up. Like, it's such good foreshadowing for, like, this this thing that Jenny is going to confront next. Yeah, that- it's been there. Like, this is my first reread. And looking at all the foreshadowing on the stuff with the grandfather, mm-hmm. like I said, I knew what it was. But the coding on it is terrifying. And when you get to Zach and he's like, this is what I'm afraid of because grandpa did these things or tried to do these things and I'm afraid of that. It's like, yeah, no, this affected so many more people than just Jenny. Right. Like Jenny's parents who had to live with like what their father, quote unquote, might have done, you know? Yeah. They moved. They just uprooted their lives. Both of these yeah. these these half sisters. Let's go to Callie. Let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna go literally to the opposite coast. Yep. Goodbye. Listen, don't worry about like all of that stuff that you were into as a kid. We have Disneyland now. <laughs> You can be scared of the Haunted Mansion wallpaper. Let's go. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, no, it's just, it's very good. Like this, the building that LJ does. Yeah. So, like. For everything that we comment about with LJ Smith, we love this. (laughs) No, like that's, and that's one of the things that I want to emphasize is like, as far as constructing this story, like it's very thoughtful, you know? Yeah. Even as far back as. In the, in one of the first couple chapters, like when thinking about her fears, she mentions Jenny, the grandfather. Yeah, she yeah. vaguely mentions like, "Oh, that thing that I can't Something remember." Something in my grandfather's basement. But I'm not going to think about it. And she sort of glosses yep. over it, and then that ends up being like the place where everything started because Julian saw her there. You know. Yep. No, it was so good. Like the whole build on who Julian is, why he knows her, why he's obsessed with her. All of that, so good. I remember reading it the first time through, I was like, having my normal, eh, but why this girl? And even though, like, yeah, she was five, it at least makes sense. Where you're like, oh, you have history. <laughs> you had repressed the history, but it's there. Huh. Yeah. How about that? And, like, I was thinking about all of this in the context of an RPG, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Pulling the connection between Julian and Jenny from this really guts it. Yeah. You can't just do this to some random group of friends. Right. No, like the the connection between Jenny's original trauma that she can't remember and that being like Julian's point of finding her is really interesting and it makes the story more interesting and and i'm like even if i have like seven people who need to face their fears like one of them has to be jenny because otherwise the story is not as impactful i would say you should have six and have tom be an npc oh yeah no 100 percent. that is my plan (laughs) (laughs) he is pointless even like Audrey as a utility character, like her history, letting you seed in all of the the Nordic yeah. stuff. Yeah, 
it's just real good. Like, this is real good economy of storytelling, you know? <laughs> and you have seven teenagers. Ultimately, uh, you probably have five teenagers if you take out Summer mm-hmm. and, and Tom, right, from, from who she's really working with. But you've got these five characters who have so much life to them and so much connection and importance. Like, Tom gets more development later. But I remember it's always hard to read what ends up being ensemble pieces because it's like, oh my god, there's so many names. How do I keep them straight? But reading this, I was like, oh yeah, I remember you. I remember you. Oh, absolutely. I knew everybody except for the two who didn't matter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, right. So that is a feat. Yeah, and that's something I actually have been interested in, especially from you, in terms of, like, L.J. Smith and her entire backlist, right? Because, like... Oh, yes, her pantheon of characters. Yes, there's definitely things that L.J. likes to hit multiple times, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she's trying to get at something in her head. Right, and you you mentioned, like, the idea that Summer was very similar to Bonnie. Yes. From Vampire Diaries, yeah. Right, because they're both, like, very small and kind of childish and all that stuff. But Bonnie actually has character, as you mentioned. (laughs) Right. I I do think that's valid, because I do think Bonnie differentiates herself from Summer. But the idea that, like, LJ has written a lot of series in very similar genres, and that she hits some of the same character tropes... But for me, as we go along this project of, like, reading all of L.J. Smith's stuff, the characters do feel distinctive, right? Absolutely. No one in here is actually someone else. Like, Summer and Bonnie are cut from the same cloth, Mm -hmm. but Summer is basically non-existent as a character. (laughs) Summer is a device. Yeah. Where Bonnie, I can actually think about and be like, yeah, okay, I remember Bonnie, she's got powers, and she's, you know, she's super horny, and um, <laughs> she's actually around. No one in this story is Elena fucking Gilbert. Tom is not Stefan. Jenny isn't Cassie. No. Yeah, like, uh, I can't fucking remember any of the uh, Secret Circle characters, so none of them matter. <laughs> uh, but, like... <laughs> Whatever the one was that I always gave a Rosa Diaz voice to. Like, none of them... <laughs> D isn't that character. No. At least in this one, they're all very, very different. Yes. And thinking on it, nobody is Caroline. Nobody is Meredith. No one is Matt. You know, like, all of these characters are different from the Vampire Diaries ones. And this is impressive. Mm-hmm. Because it's now three series with a group of teenagers. You would think more of them would be like, ah, yes, this is the so-and-so, this is the such-and-such. Right. And and they are able to feel distinctive from themselves, from, like, other characters in other series. Like, as we go into the next couple series, like, LJ has a thing where she's super into having, like, redheaded psychics. Oh, boy. But I would also venture... That each one of those, like, curly-haired, red-headed psychics <laughs> do feel distinctive from one another, despite the fact that they are spun from the same base point. Yeah, it's extremely impressive, especially when, like, you look at some of the other works we've, we've looked at, when it can be like, wow, this is so hard, I can't even keep these characters straight, who is who, <laughs> who even matters? And then you have this, where it's like, no, all of these characters are very distinct. I'm... I'm- 
glad because as I said, this was a question that I had going into this project was like, how many of LJ Smith's <laughs> dozens of similar characters will feel the same? I feel like if they were going to have felt the same, they would have felt the same to me reading Vampire Diaries or Secret Circle. Mm-hmm. That I would have been like, lol, this is just so-and-so from Forbidden Games, since that was my starting point. Well, and we, we've we sort of run into that with, like, Amelia Atwater Rose's books, where, like, oh, this is the Jessica, you know? <laughs> yeah. The Jessicas as well. <laughs> right. Where we've seen where characters who are spun from the same base can be essentially the same character. Oh, and since you've brought up the Den of Shadows. Uh-huh. I just want to say, Julian is so proto-Aubrey and proto-Zane, it's like not even a stretch. Up to and including like having snake tattoos and wearing snake pants and having eyes that you fall into and and just like the descriptions of his voice. Like, oh my god, the fucking descriptions of his voice would be like Mm -hmm. steel wrapped in silk water flowing over rocks yeah i'm just like if amy hadn't read this i just can't i can't i express my disbelief (laughs) there's no way (laughs) you know it's just he fits so many things that i'm just like you are literally just fucking like cut you out muster your hair up a little bit make your eyes red yeah dye your hair black and then just like i don't know take off of the shirt leave the pants get in there (laughs) I love so that, funny. Though. There were moments where I'm just like, this is sane. This is Aubrey. I read the message that you sent me that said that, and I was so offended. <laughs> like a deep level where I was just like, no, Julian is way more complicated than any of the characters that you compared him to. I mean, that's not wrong. But I'm also not wrong. No, absolutely. But I just feel like this is valid. And I feel a little bad dunking on Amelia. But it just feels, you know. You know what? We all come from somewhere. Like, sometimes you see sometimes you see stories and you go, ooh, you read Interview with the Vampire a lot of times, didn't you? <laughs> right. um, I'm sure we'll get people, too, where it's like, mm, you were super into Loki in mm-hmm. the MCU, mm-hmm. weren't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. It's always interesting to see where those things come from. Mm-hmm. And yeah, again, if this isn't, if he isn't a seed, I just will <laughs> not be able to believe that. Just not at all. <laughs> like, denied. It's, it's I don't too agree. specific. It's all connected. Hold on, let me. Hold on, let me get this drink. <laughs> <laughs> good times, good times. Don't make me get the timeline. These were all like a decade before those characters. <laughs> Fucking tape my picture of Stefan up here next to my middle fan art. <laughs> uh, Alright, so we're so bad at this game. Um they're all back together. We get to Jenny's, um, which we have described here and there. Her nightmare, she finds it on her own, and she draws on her paper what she remembered that it started with her grandfather's basement and she can see the memory of her little five-year-old self and she starts seeing stuff and goes oh this is like protection books and and lots of like different cultures and so on and so forth and there's some stuff where i'm like that 
you you would need Google probably, but like right, like how does Jenny have this breadth of knowledge? Yeah, <laughs> but either way, she starts to be like, yeah, this is a lot of protection stuff from lots of different cultures, like as many cultures as possible. And then remembers that there was uh, three bookcases, and no one of the bookcases was pulled away from the wall a little bit. And look, there's a closet back there, and it has a specific symbol on it that I read about in Grandfather's Notebook that I just picked up. But I'm 16, Jenny, not five-year-old Jenny. And five-year-old Jenny sees the Nauthies, I think was the way it's pronounced, mm-hmm. rune. The X. The X, the slightly backwards X. It really, it looks more like a line with a smaller line through it. But whatever. I love I love that because you have posted a picture of that in our chat. Yeah, it doesn't look like a backwards X. <laughs> you have done your research. I did done do it. And I wanted to read this description I found okay. of it. So Nafis is it translates to the need fire. It is a rune with a dual nature. In one sense, it is the hard hollow of lack. It is the cold earth, the dark days, the emptiness of loss, of starvation, the dark night of the soul. This rune is about survival, not just of the body, but of the soul. So this is what he uses to contain all of the fucking elemental jinn that are Julian and his elders, he refers to them. This this actual rune sounds like it's describing Julian. Oh, that's interesting. So little Jenny just opens the door and she stares into the void and the void literally stares back. I love that. The description's great. I, I love that Jenny's fucking grandfather just put them in a closet. Yeah. Sir. He's like, I don't have good memories of this place. <laughs> Sir. Why? Why? And it's like, well, what did those boys in the German forest want? Power? Answers? The easy way out? It's great. It's very interesting because, like, Julian himself says, you try a lot of different things until one of them works, and then when one of them works, you're surprised by it. Yeah, right. So, like, even Julian is like, yeah, who could have known, right? The odds. Everything else didn't. (laughs) grandfather knows that since she broke the rune they will take her and that means they'll they'll like tear her limb from limb and like eat her human flesh or something but grandfather makes a trade he will go in instead julian meanwhile is the little voice being like no i want to keep her no she's great i like her ah youth (laughs) youth yep and you know, we said that her, her clothes have been torn apart. She's got cuts and, and scrapes and things like that. This is what her family finds when she's little. This is also older Jenny. Like, they find her sitting in, like, a puddle of ice. Or melted ice? Yeah. And obviously she's not, you know, torn apart or anything like that. But uh, that is what she's been repressing. And her fear, you know, was, was to remember it. Jenny thinks she fails, right? Because she yeah. she experiences this memory and she didn't find a way to change it. And then later on, you know, after she's made her bargains or whatever, Julian mm-hmm. tells her like, no, you just had to remember. Yeah, you've been fucking repressing this since you were five. And my new pitch for Julian's side hustle 
is Jillian as like an immersion therapy therapist. Oh god. Cognitive behavioral therapy to the max. Seriously, the way that he makes like Zach face his very deep seated like yeah. issues, the way that like no no Jenny, you just had to remember it. You didn't have to overcome it. <laughs> you had to acknowledge it was real. Right? People pay a lot of money for that. Yeah, just like get in touch with the insurance companies. <laughs> My people will bill you. Work out like a blue cross blue shield kind of thing. <laughs> so one of the funny parts to me in this was um, when after she's come back and found all of her friends and is describing what she saw and, and, and such and talks about what Julian is, which is to say all of the shit that they've experienced of aliens and dark elves and demons and shadow men the earl king and the old gods and the fairy folk she says they're real they've always been here like genies you know the old name for a genie was jinn and in his notes my father called them aljunu jinn aljunu julian get it it was a joke they like to play with us (laughs) i love that bullshit (laughs) so much like, because at the beginning, he's like, eh, you can call me Julian. Is that your name? Right. Eh, it's good enough. <laughs> yeah, it was close. This is as good as any, you know. So fucking funny. But yeah, her door is now there, up at the top. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they get there. And it is just after five. And they have to get out by 6.11, remember? And Tom is there, and he's been changed to the fucking grandfather clock, which grandfather clock it just occurred to me um he's he's chained to that clock and julian has been showing up when he's not down there to show him what jenny's been experiencing so (laughs) nothing that involved julian right you did not see us making out do not worry (laughs) she definitely wouldn't leave you for her cousin (laughs) dude i would be this would be my new complex was like that somebody in this game would see the fucking Jumbotron replay of me <laughs> desperately tonguing my cousin. Like, I think no. desperately is the appropriate description of how that fucking kiss went. That is something that is not emphasized enough. The horror of that being discovered. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think it really gets chatted about again in other books. You want to repress something? Let's repress that. <laughs> right? And it was like, oh, I fucked up. Like, I can't bring this up ever again. Nope, nope, nope. Not even once. And the creeper and the lurker, which were the snake and the wolf that we chatted about briefly in the beginning, are waiting at the door. And everybody's there. Uh, And here's another one of my favorite bits. Jenny says, he has to let us go. The rules were that if we got to the top of the house, we could go free. Not exactly, the liquid elemental voice said from the back of the store. Describe him, he's back in his fucking Byron poet cyberpunk bullshit. So many ruffles. Oh yeah, he mentions that he's a visitor from the stars, the Earl King. I'm Loki, I'm Puck, I'm the hunter. I'm the shadow man, I'm your nightmares come true. She's like, yeah, yeah, fine, now we want to go home. You didn't let me finish. Do you remember? Well, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm not hidebound by tradition, and I am playing fairly. I said if you got to the turret before dawn, you'd find the door home standing open. And it is. It's just that I won't let you get to it. And I'm like, so good. So excellent at this game. I love his fable shit. His bargaining, A+, plus on point. No one does it better. <laughs> Julian aced that class. Hell yeah. He was like, mm, twisting my words? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. 
Oh, there's a loophole? Fucking phenomenal. Right? The only way I'll get this girl that I am super interested in to kiss me? Okay. Can do. I'll set it up. He also mentions that, like, this game in particular has been done many times, that nobody ever gets to the end. No, people rarely get through their fears, blah, blah, blah. So, like, it would be interesting to see what his elders have done, because there's, like, poems that reference this sort of thing as well, and that people play and they always lose... Like, from humans' ends as well, not just from his mouth. Yeah, the um, the idea of Jenny's grandfather as, like, a World War II vet who encountered a poem from another World War II vet that specifically mentioned, like, this kind of game is really interesting. Like the other fools who've slipped on these same stones and played and lost. Yeah, and just, like, there, you know, there were a lot of, like, World War whatever stories of shit that happened on the battlefield that you then bring home and you know that leads you to an elder god or whatever it's just like (laughs) it's a very interesting feel yep so let's see to try to wrap this up jenny ultimately gives in and says i will stay and he's like the fuck you say and she says yep as long as everyone can go and he's like hmm Everyone can go, but Tommy, uh, he's going to stay as a hostage. She's like, I don't need that. He's like, whatever. So she's like, fine, doesn't matter to me. I'll stay. Mm-hmm. And Jillian's like, I need him for the threesome. <laughs> because it's inevitably going to happen. I'll look like your cousin. <laughs> and It's not even a threesome between Jillian, Tom, and Jenny. It's between Tom, Zach, and Jenny. Because that's how fucked up. Julian is. is. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So he makes this ring and on the inside it says, all I refuse and thee I choose. And he says, you're going to put this on and there'll be no way to break the promise, no way to change the bond. It's a short ceremony. Do you want to go through with it? And so she does. Her friends are all like, no, Jenny, don't. Tom is like, yep, it's the game. I knew I'd have to do this. And we learn later that his biggest fear is losing Jenny. And yeah, that's okay. But, yeah. Can we pause here? Do you have to go to the bathroom? I mean, I do, but that's not why. Okay. No. So, okay. You know, we talked about earlier about, like, Zach and the fucked upness in regards to Jenny's whatever reaction to the the Zach tongue. Yeah. But, like... So this is where I became concerned about Zach's reciprocation of these feelings, right? Because, Mm. like, LJ is very specific about the way that each character reacts to Jenny pretending that she wants to go with Julian willingly, right? Do you mean this line? The violence came from an unexpected quarter. No, said Zachary, surging forward as if he was going to attack Julian. It's not just that one. Every line that Zach has is compared to the way that a lover would react. And Tom is very, like, watching it with blank eyes. He's, I suppose it had to happen. He's just very, like, accepting. Right. And they talk about, like, the betrayal in Zach's voice. Like, he's being personally, you know, (laughs) hurt in this instance that Jenny would go with this other man. And to me, I was just like, LJ, why? I know you're probably trying to go for, like, you're my cousin and I love you and I've known you forever. How dare you? But you've brought up incest. Right. But you already had the incest 
why do you need to emphasize it from like a new quarter? <laughs> it just, it, it felt very weird to me because Zach is like a very chill person through the whole book. Yeah. And like, maybe that's his arc, you know, of like learning to care about other people, whatever. <laughs> but it came about a very weird way. It does. It does come about in a very strange way. Then you get Julian in this book, I think, telling Jenny, like, oh, but he does think of you. Yeah. Like, what does that mean, Julian? How does he think of her? Does he think of her in a boner way? Because you are um, a fae and you can't uh, twist the words. Right. Like, what are, what are you, LJ? Not even Julian. Like, what are you, LJ, yeah. trying to communicate by telling us that Zach thinks of Jenny? Well, and like I've said, I, I have to wonder if he looks at it and goes, Grandpa did this thing. I might do this thing to someone. Grandpa did this to Jenny. Might I do this to Jenny? Would I ever want to do that to Jenny? I shouldn't think about that. It's very strange. And I feel like there's th- there was room for clarification. <laughs> she chose not to. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter because uh, she kisses Julian and that happens. And she's like, let's go somewhere private. And they go back down to the basement. And we learn a little bit about Julian, the very smallest amount. And somehow she manages to... Oh, it's actually in this here. You want to watch out for that cousin of yours, too. He really does think about you, you know. I took that impression from life. And she's like, you're jealous of Zach. And then he's like, it doesn't matter. He won't be able to get you here anyway. (laughs) Right, you you trust me with me. I don't have to worry about you fucking your cousin. It's fine. (laughs) Good job. And somehow she gets him in the closet. It's very clever. Good job, Jenny. I liked this and like the other ways in which Jenny has sort of outsmarted Julian. But like this is very good. Like the the stance that she uses to get out of the closet is nicely yeah. seated. Like it's good stuff. There was a lot that led this. I remember having only about like eight pages left to go, and I'm like, how how did she get away from him? I don't remember. <laughs> and we get there, you know? Yeah. She yeah, does it. She, she does, she it. does the now thieves again and slashes the X in the air and it flashes bright and she books it and everyone is still waiting and she's so surprised. She's like, I thought D, but they're all here. And yeah, right. Michael, even you? Even Michael, coward? who was a coward? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they went and they get there and they get back out and they're in the living room and Summer's still not there, which I was so right. glad. That this book, because most books would just be like, Beh. this book was like, well, um, we will have a plan about that. Yeah, but, we got to talk about this later. Yeah, they've done it. She fucking smashes the yes. house. I love that moment. Yes. In a speed that surprised, like, Zachary specifically, I think. Yeah, like, he even she lifted his head up. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then she, like, looks at the ring, and she drops that on top, and then the little, because they're cardboard figures for the creeper and the lurker and the shadow man, and she has a moment of hesitation, but ultimately he goes in there, too, and she fucking duct tapes that whole motherfucker up, and they decide that they're gonna call the cops and tell them what happened, for real, about Summer. Which is dumb. That's how you know that these are, like, some upper-middle-class white kids, because, like, mm-hmm. that shit we'll would call not the cops. Fly. And you're like, mm, you <laughs> we'll all murdered your friend and, like, right. buried her in the swamp. 
and we'll tell them the truth about how the Shadow Man Cat kidnapped us with his magic board game. Sure, children, you got high? Uh-huh. Yeah. Just jump off the roof? Right. Like, where did you bury her? <laughs> where is her arm? Where is the body? Um, Tom admits in private to Jenny about what his fear was. We see that Jenny is stronger. Oh, but in the meantime, somebody breaks into the house. <laughs> like, there's Surprise. a smash. The the backsliding door is broken and the game is gone. And they're all like, well, cops probably wouldn't have believed us anyway. And it turns out it's the two tough boys from the beginning who, in the very end of this like last page, they're just like afraid but triumphant. And they don't know why they wanted this box, but they like watched the house all night. And then at dawn, they'd worked up the nerve to break in and the box was just there and they didn't know why they wanted it. But they've been compelled to follow it and afraid of it mm-hmm. and wanting it. Mm-hmm. And now they have it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they, they open it up. And that's it. That's the end. So that's book one. Fucking eight hours later. Oh, my God. I know literally five hours. You guys. I, I joked hours. that it wasn't going to take this long. I was wrong. Because I had to pee so many times. I apologize. That's okay. That's okay. Also, we were super drunk. We're super drunk. I'm only slightly less drunk now. Similarly, I think I'm probably hopefully good enough to take the dog. Oh, good luck, good luck, good luck. Ha! <sighs> so I think we've had all our free talk and our nitpicks. And would you recommend this? <laughs> um, It has its issues, obviously. We've talked about <laughs> Yeah. But no, I love, I love this book. Like, it's good stuff. Even if you air towards the sides of not being into stalkers which like i don't know that's your personal preference i personally <laughs> find it hot but whatever you're like look it all leads back to phantom of the opera so I know. it does i know we didn't mention that but <laughs> julian is the only acceptable like interpretation of the phantom okay <laughs> but like even if you put the Shadow Man stuff aside, like, I think there's still enough good spooky stuff here, like, Agreed. that it's a good read. It's a point horror read. <laughs> and if you're into immortal murderers who've been watching you since you were a child, <laughs> then that's just a bonus, you know? This is very specifically your jam. <laughs> right? It does not fail. Like, Listen, you know, the people that I'm talking to, you know. You know. If you're a monster fucker, you know it. (laughs) We're all the same page. (laughs) So good. What about you? Would you recommend this book? Yes. I would want to be very careful in how I content warned for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, In that I would definitely like to give content warnings. Yeah, what needs it. Yeah, of being like, here's some stuff. And then here's some other stuff that, like, will come out of nowhere. And you'll be like, where the fuck did that come from? It's just FYI, it's not molestation. I know it feels like <laughs> that, but it's not. Yeah, I would definitely be like, mm, so it's going to feel like this and it's not. But it does <laughs> try really hard to make it seem like that. And right. one of the characters fully believes that it was that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I would absolutely recommend this one. It's, it's great. Um, even if there weren't the other two. Mm-hmm. It, on its own, it's very solid. Mm-hmm. So I just love that the other ones exist because it gives us more of these characters' development. Yeah, and I I think that will be something fun to look at as we go forward. It's just like the ways in which by the end of book three, everybody is got a lot more depth going Hell on. Yeah. I look forward Except to that. Except summer. Except summer. 
God. <laughs> Look, I have so many issues with that girl. So many. But we'll get there. All right. So next episode, we will be reading The Chase. It is book two in the Forbidden Games series. Uh, we don't have any new patrons. Not that I know of. Not that I am aware of either. All right. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> this is probably like a double-sized podcast, oh even when God. it's been cut down, I'm sure. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> you can find uh, Backlist and Chill on Twitter at Backlist Podcast. And you can find me there as well. I am Olivia Hennis. And you? You can find <laughs> me on Twitter at Endless underscore Run. And you can find the podcast at Patreon, patreon.com slash backlist and chill. There's so many seasons now. You can go back and listen to them all. Yes. And uh, even though we don't have any new patrons, we do want to thank our uh, subscribing patrons. You guys are great. We love you. Uh, Hope you enjoy this ridiculous podcast. Hope we made any kind of sense this time. (laughs) No promises. We'll be better next time. We'll be better. We'll drink less alcohol next time. Just want to say shout out to Absinthe Blanche. Real good. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Heady stuff. (laughs) Also, shout out to vodka in the concept of vodka. (laughs) Brought to you by the letter vodka. All right. It's the letter in my alphabet. (laughs) Good night, patrons. We love you. Good night. We love you, and I do have to pee again. (laughs) Bye. Bye. There you are. Hello. Hi. What up? I'm so drunk. (laughs) Same. Like, my eyes are like, go sleep. <laughs> I, I feel very floaty. Yeah. lovely. I love it. It's I was like, fun. maybe I'll do half a drink with the rest of uh-huh. the pomegranate white tea drink. And I was mm-hmm. like, I could do a full drink with ginger ale. Mm. Ollie, Ollie, I also have ginger ale. <gasps> Sweet cheers, clink. Yeah. 20. Like, I went to the grocery store and was like, you're going to need... You're going to need ginger ale. I'm like, am I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. I do. And I had to like hunt for it. I found it and it was like. Really? Yeah. In the little um, drink fridges. Mm-hmm. There were two. In two different drink fridges. Wow. And one of them was like, if you open the drink fridge on one side or you open the drink fridge on the other side, you can't fucking get to it. I <laughs> got to it. <laughs> They're not going to keep it from you. <laughs> right? That one last ginger ale is mine. <laughs> and I'm eating some Oreo cookies. And I took a picture oh. of the cat with one on him mm-hmm. because his name mm-hmm. is Oreo. Oh, that's so smart. It's like a pun. <laughs> oh, well, no. It's really good. I love it. I'm going to finish this Oreo and then we can get back to talking about this amazing book. okay that sounds good dude i went downstairs and i smelled like a baking smell and i was like dave what is that are you baking and he was like no i made toast and i was like well it smells amazing it smells like baking cookies oh i have good toast it smells like real good toast
Oh, I was gonna say this cookie is so good. I'm I'm really happy for you and your cookie. It's like creamy and crunchy. Oh, it sounds like an Oreo. I I feel high. That's how drunk I am. (laughs) Usually drunk is no bueno. This is going to be a good episode. (laughs) (laughs) Dear listeners, welcome back. We're both drunk. Welcome back. I feel so drunk that I feel high. (laughs) (laughs) This is a fact. I love... Anyway... Love when you're high and it's like good. I'm allergic I'm... to one type of marijuanas, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which are technically legal in my state for a small mm-hmm. amount. Mm-hmm. But one of them I'm allergic to, so that's, that's so bad. Bummer. No, I don't how, like it. How do you know? Um, I time travel and then I know it was the wrong one. What? <laughs> it feels like I'm time traveling. I feel like I can see the future. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I hope I'm not Bear me, bear me. You know? It's terrible. I don't love it. But the other one is good because it's just like, "Mm, I'm so mellow and I could just like go to sleep and think about stories and come up with really cool ideas that I will absolutely forget by the time I wake up. Awesome. You got to do the dream journal thing. You got to keep a pen and then just be like this thing. The concept that I could write while (laughs) is so cute. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't See, I've never, I've never been high, so I don't know what you can and can't do. Um, sometimes I have to touch the wall to make sure I'm not dreaming. <laughs> How does that prove anything? <laughs> something about it. Something about being able to touch the wall makes me feel attached to reality. Because I guess I don't touch the walls in my dreams. <laughs> I just love the idea that, like, dream you is just, like, touch. It's like, oh, yeah, totally legit. I did the test. It came back <laughs> Legit, negative. this is real. <laughs> like, what do I'm, you like, think, in Mr. Julian's Dinosaur? fucking ridiculous house. And I'm like, oh, I can touch the walls. It's legit. <laughs> must, must be real. Check We're out. fucked. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I <laughs> that's gonna be anytime I have to write something of somebody like figuring out if something is real, I would have them touch it and just be like, "Yep, it <laughs> checks out." Someone be like, "Why does touching the wall mean it's real?" I'd be like, "You ever touch the wall in your dreams?" <laughs> All right, I see you were correct. Very good. I can also touch the wall. <laughs> I don't know something about touching. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's chapter one. Chapter two. Wait, what? No, stop. All I tried. There's so much good stuff going on in chapter one. <laughs> it's literally though. like four pages. <laughs> no, it's important. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> oh, no, you're right. Stuff does happen in chapter two. I'm sorry. You <gasps> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. <laughs> All right, all right, chapter two. <laughs> legs are hard. It's so hard to legs. <laughs> <laughs> Who came up with them? Um, evolution, I think. Oh, it was a bad plan. It, it was. You know how much easier it would be to swim? Yo, right? Gravity would not be nearly so difficult. 
right? Like, gravity, you don't know shit in the ocean, okay? Unless, like, unless you live in the deep ocean, but at that point, it's just like, can I survive here or can I not? I cannot, then I will go back up higher. Right, right. Then I'm going to lift my elevation here. <laughs> I'm going to just, like, stop resisting and let my body float. Oh, look at that. <laughs> oh, look at that. I'm fine. <laughs> Weird. Where with legs, if you stop resisting, you end up on the floor. <laughs> right? And, like, you know, you can't, like, float or swim. Then you're just sort of stuck there. I love floating. I do also love floating. It's been a long time. Yo, same. (laughs) 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 Ollie, this episode is really kind of a disaster, I would say. I think we're terrible at this episode. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Hopefully the next episode will be better. Yeah, I was thinking about that in the bathroom um, before the cat decided he wanted to be in the bathroom with me. Mm, At which point, I was entirely distracted by the cat. (laughs) Because he needed to have his little face pat. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I fed him. An hour early, he is so good at playing on my heartstrings. He's like, but what if I was fed now? (laughs) But food? You're right. What if you were? But I'm I'm an Oreo. (laughs) I'm Oreo. I'm the best cat. I am food. (laughs) Right? I deserve all of the food. And so I gave him half of what I would have given him in an hour. Just just because I need him to be happy. (laughs) Yeah. No. It's very important. He's the cat. I love the cat. Sometimes when Caspian sends me pictures of him, I just start crying with how much I love him. (laughs) I cry. I'm like, look at how cute he is. He's so cute. I love. Get it together. No, it's impossible. I love this cat too much. Get it together. You can't cry at cat pictures. I do. This cat. Sometimes videos survive. I don't know. I don't know. I feel so lucky that. I get to come watch him mm-hmm. and have him sit beside me and that I can sometimes reach out and actually touch him. <laughs> it feels very sad to me that there are people who are never going to be able to touch him because <laughs> he's a very big cat. Who will never know the blessing of this cat. Right? And he'll like sit on your lap oh, and purr. That's very nice. And you can like I don't know if everyone can, but I can pick him up and hold him like uh, a baby. Ollie, it's 806. Uh, chapter Get three. Get it together. <laughs> no, Stop waxing no, poetic no, about this no. cat. Who is yours? Stop. Not chapter three. Just, just summarize the book. Okay. 